main event of SmackDown, a main event of pay-per-views, a main event of WrestleMania. You know why? They know us now. I'm the right-hand man, main event Jey Uso, and it's all because of him. So guess what? You out. And I'm out too. Oh my God! Solo's done! By Paul Dussos! Oh yeah, what a moment this past week on Friday night. SmackDown, Jay Uso turning on Roman Reigns and Jay and Jimmy Uso now split from the bloodline. This week, we're going to have a similar turn in this classic episode of Steve Mongo McMichael turning on Kevin Green to join the Four Horsemen. Oh man, the biggest heel turn in the summer of 1996 in WCW. We also have just weeks after the Outsiders made their debut... Kevin Nash power bombs Eric Bischoff through a table. It's WCW's Great American Bash 1996 deep dive. We originally recorded it June 21st, 2022, one year ago. But before we deep dive into the Great American Bash 96 in this classic episode, we talked about Vince McMahon being able to do whatever he wanted to. And it was just weeks before he would quote unquote retire. And we also talked about the passing of Tim White and Dave Hebner. It's episode 329, our WCW Great American Bass 1996 Deep Dive. Acknowledge me. It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. Oh. The smile at you and kick your face off. I'm feeling with that. You've got me mad now. You know, you got a bicycle. Feeling good. All the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of time to get it again. Oh, it's live, Hal. Sorry. I love Virgil. I was like, yes, <laughs> like, this guy's awesome. With my man, man, pots and pans, Nick McCone. That's me. Are you a humanoid? Get ready. I don't know where the kid is that was a ratchet, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. And I have passed the brain to see But I don't like it when things aren't going my way. I know my wrestling. He don't know nothing else. You know that wrestling, boy. He was about to hop over the table. What? You are empty, break your heart. What a beast. No sleep, no food. No nothing. This maniac is. You got the water, man. Give me a hell yeah. I said, give me a hell yeah. What's up, everybody out there in internet land, and welcome to episode 329 of The Straight Shooters, available wherever podcasts are found. My name is Vaughn Johnson of the Philadelphia Inquirer, 
And I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick Pacona, Philly influencer, and Fox PHL, the gambler. And we have yet another fantastic show ahead of us here on episode 329. We got a deep dive. We're deep diving. We're diving deep into the 1996 Great American Bash or the last pay-per-view before Bash at the Beach in 1996. <laughs> and we all know what happened there. But it took place on Father's Day, June 16th, 1996. And we're here a day after Father's Day here on this episode, 329, here in January or June, I should say. January. June 20th, 2022. I did so not happy, put that on the rundown. <laughs> right. I just, I'm so out of whack with the stuff going on. It's I forgot what month it was. But happy belated Father's Day to all the dads out there. And happy belated Juneteenth to all of us black folks out there. It says, that's an important holiday as well. Now a federal holiday. So how about that? But yeah. we're recording this on the federal holiday of Juneteenth, even though Juneteenth is June 19th, but it's recognized as a federal holiday today as we're recording this. Uh, but again, we're doing a deep dive into the Great American Bash. 1996 took place, what that would be, 22 years ago or 20, no, 26 years ago, mm-hmm. a couple days ago. So I have my math wrong there a little bit. But... Uh, we're going to do that and dive deep into that and touch on some current events because there's a lot of current events to touch on that's happening in the world of professional wrestling. But before we get into that, I got to do my weekly check-in with my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick Pacone. How you doing on this beautiful Monday evening, my good brother? It is. It is. It is June 20th, and it was like 70-ish degrees out. That's what I call a good day. I, I was telling my girl the other day, I was like, I feel like this has been a a nice June. It has. And I feel like cause it's been I feel like I've been I've been way hotter in June. And she's like, No, this is a this is a still a high very hot June. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like it's been ninety in June, like in the past for consistently like consistent period of time. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't feel like it. Yeah, it's been hot a couple days, but it hasn't been like consistently like unbearable. And I feel like June can get that way sometimes. It can. And I'm I'm happy that uh, I don't have to use my air conditioner as much as I normally do because uh, I like to be cold, especially in the summer. Uh, but there, I've gone hours without it on, you know, while I'm even in my room. Like, it's it's very nice. I do have it on overnight, so the room is kind of, like, cool when I wake up, and it stays cool for a little bit. But uh, I'm digging it, man. It was a great weather for Father's Day, great weekend, really. And uh, it happened to continue on this monday so yes, how about yes, that? yes i probably turned the ac on for like a half hour a couple <laughs> days ago and it wasn't even my request it was my girl's request she wanted the ac on but no i i'm with you i haven't turned it on really at all outside of that 30 35 minutes or whatever it was and uh mostly fans and opening the windows and the fans not even on in the room i'm in right now how so how about that well i got my air on right now but that's because no. uh i like to be cold also so. i'm cheap so <laughs> running up my electric bill, That's running true. up my light bill, using all the AC, light bill going to be sky high. So it's not nearly hot enough yet to use the AC, but I usually try to hold out <laughs> until I pop it on. And then it's like, all right, we got to turn it on and we got to leave it on because it's steaming outside. But uh, but I ain't trying to make my light bill sky high here in West Philly. But, um, but yes, yeah, nice weather going on in Philly right now. Hope you're all enjoying some decent weather or whatever it is. Uh, something good happening in your life. Uh, but it's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world of wrestling. 
uh, in the last what three or four days. Uh, but no, we're not going to talk about Adam Cole getting body shamed on Twitter by wrestling fans for not having enough muscle, uh, um, which is wild that we're having a conversation like that on Twitter. Uh, no, we're not going to touch whatever. on Sasha Banks. May or what's that? I'll just say whatever on Twitter. It's so yeah, ridiculous. It's just a ridiculous whatever. stuff. Um, the guy who, you know, everybody wanted to be pushed to the moon in WWE all of a sudden doesn't have enough muscles. I don't know. But, um, no, oh, we're not going to touch on Sasha Banks, whether she's may or may not be released from WWE yet. We're going to go straight to the top here. We're going to this, well, I guess former or currently not active chairman and CEO of WWE, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, who has been to the surprise of no one. A very bad person. Bad behind the scenes, specifically. Uh, because a Wall Street Journal report came out a couple days ago. Again, we're recording this on June 20th, so the story's been out for a couple days. Even as you hear this, you probably know all the details, but I'll give a quick recap. A Cliff Notes version is that, number one, Vince was cheating on his wife. Not surprising at all. I mean, anybody probably would have guessed that. Two... But here's where he really gets real wrong. Obviously, it's wrong to cheat on your wife. But then you cheat on your wife with an employee of your company that you run mm. off top. Really bad, especially for a publicly traded company with shareholders, right? That's, you know, in the public eye a lot in this day and age where people are very aware of these types of power imbalance type relationships <laughs> that can occur at jobs and people have lost their jobs over this type of stuff, especially when there's a power imbalance, right? And it doesn't get reported by the employees, something like that. People lose their jobs over this type of stuff. But I have a feeling that won't happen with Vince McMahon because he'll find a way to win because he always does. Um, but he is having an, an extramarital affair with an employee. He gave, actually gave this said employee an extra $100,000 in, in salary when she started dating, when they started, I guess, being involved in a relationship. Then allegedly passed her off like a toy, as they said in the story, to John Laurinaitis. And she went from a paralegal to John Laurinaitis' assistant. And also, it came with that bump in pay, also came a severance of $3 million and some, and some NDAs. It's ugly. But not surprising given who these people are. And we, we've known of them for, like, decades, right? We've said on this podcast many times, why is Vince so horny? When he when you say that when it comes to the content that's on screen, right? Not surprising, he's pretty damn horny behind the scenes too. And the same thing with John Laurinaitis, who all the reports were when he took over again and his role as, I guess, the head of talent relations, which no one wanted him in that spot. It's like, what? Come on! Only person that wanted him in that spot was Vincent Vince McMahon. But as soon as he assumed that new role, he started hearing the reports about how the women didn't feel comfortable with him. And all of a sudden, there was new, like new edicts, new dress codes in NXT for the women to dress sexier and more revealing and all this type of stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, no wonder, because he's a horny old man who brings nothing to the table <laughs> besides being a, a yes man for Vince McMahon. Mm. So we have that. That's bad enough. And, and the WWE's board of directors are investigating all of that. We don't know what the outcome of the investigation is going to be. Uh... It could, you know, maybe it gets, maybe there's nothing there. Maybe they find nothing because it is a WWE investigation of its chairman and CEO. Maybe they find a whole slew of uh, misconduct on Vince McMahon's part. 
I'm not sure how much it will mean given how much power Vince has within the company. He still has a bunch of voting power, even though he doesn't have all the shares. Obviously, it's a publicly traded company, but he has he maintains a lot of voting power. And. But then came, I think the day after this report dropped, I think it was Friday, that Vince is stepping aside as chairman and CEO. It's like, whoa, that's because this is already a big story. That was a massive threat to Vince McMahon's power. The biggest one since the steroid trial in the mid-90s. But then he's stepping aside. Like, oh, this must be serious. But then you hear, oh, Stephanie McMahon is taking over as chairman and CEO. It's, act- it's interim chairman and CEO. Not permanent. Interim. Implicating that Vince is going to reassume power at some point in the future. Uh, she's still a McMahon, so I'm sure she was appointed by Vince himself. Also, remember, she was taking a leave of absence because to spend more time with her family, even though there were reports after that that said she wasn't even good at her job. But who was burying her in WWE behind the scenes on her way out to the to the to the reporters? And now she's back. Now she's back. And she's the chairman and CEO an interim title on that, though. So it's like, OK, well. Is he still making creative decisions? Yes. Unfortunately, Vince McMahon still has creative power in WWE. <laughs> so it's like, this feels like a very performative half measure. <laughs> like 100%. And I had I had faith when I was like, oh, like he's, he's stepping down, blah, blah, blah. But then like literally right after that, it's like he retains uh, complete control over creative and blah, blah, blah. And, like, and the stories that were mentioned that he retains voting power. He has like the most the highest voting power it's what what is this then like just go away like why not just go away i know this is his life but like it needs to not be his life anymore like look just pass it i don't i'm not gonna use that terminology but he needs to like give it up to somebody yeah yeah i'm just over it like that whole smackdown thing i I didn't watch it live but i was following on twitter and i was gonna get to that because yeah, he yeah. Vince McMahon himself ups the ante, you see. Because you know Vince, he's a fighter. See, oh, he never backs away from a fight. He has the grapefruit, the genetic jackhammer, all that nonsense that we've heard twenty five years ago. But he really believes like he's a fighter. He's not going to back down. He's going to put on the show of strength because that's what people like Vince does. And he they announced that he's going to show up on SmackDown. The day after, he was accused of having an extramarital affair with an employee, gave her a bump in pay, had her sign NDAs, gave her hush money, severance, $3 million in severance. He shows up on national television. Doesn't mention it. I'm sure his lawyers were like, what in the hell? Jerry McDevitt is like, bro, I, I don't know. what. I'm just here to write checks. Because what, what are we litigating at this point? If he's going on TV, I can, he doesn't listen to me. I'll just write the check when he tells me to write it. But he, there, there Vince McMahon was. And I didn't like you, like you. I did not watch this live. But it wasn't really much to watch because he just same, came out and just said, hey, we're going to go through this here and now forever together, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, bro, how do y'all go out of your way to make situations worse? This is bad enough. Now you're coming out flaunting your power, strutting down like nothing's wrong. Like you're not being investigated by your own company for sexual misconduct. This would not fly anywhere else except. And there were reports that backstage he didn't. He was in a good mood that he didn't even 
Right. Act like anything was wrong, and talent was kind of pissed at it because they're like, "Listen, man, we're like we know, treat us like humans. Like, don't give us this BS that he's so like famous for. It's like this is different, man. Like, and to but, him, it's not. He really nope. thinks he's the villain. Like, he he enjoys being the villain. He's like freaking Homelander and the boys. Right. He, he enjoys. That overcoming the odds and coming out on top and you can't there's nothing you could do to stop me type of thing but he's not even the good guy that's the funny part no like, he doesn't not, care exactly he just doesn't care about that he comes out struts and struts out and says that corny slogan and then leaves and it's like what was that for what was that for what what are we doing here can you imagine if like, like we're, a not, we're sm- not with you man it's like we're not together with you right now no so. no hell no i don't, I don't know what you're no, talking no, that's about. you that's all you sir <laughs> Uh, but can you imagine like a Daniel Snyder who oh. owns the Washington Commanders who is constantly being investigated for various things that happen with him personally or with his football team and if he came out at the like the beginning of a of a Commanders game like strutted out and like gave this big old speech to the Commanders fans as if he's not being investigated <laughs> by multiple uh alphabet three letter organizations right now what like no, let's not do that. That would never happen. There's you know like there's PR people in place. It's like hey, you shouldn't do this, Dan. And Dan probably listens because he's like I, I, I ain't trying to get out there like that. But Vince just doesn't care, bro. He just does not care. And this is gonna I would assume that this is gonna call into question WWE's HR, their their whole whole culture. That's and it's gonna be probably in question from this investigation because we've heard so many things about how. It's a bad culture as far as the company wise. And I've had multiple people who knew I wrote wrestling stuff. And then we do the podcast, obviously. And like, hey, you ever w- want to work for WWE? For one, I was like, hell no. <laughs> one, I ain't moving to Stanford, Connecticut. That ain't happening. Two, I don't, that doesn't seem like a place I want to work for. Like, everything I've heard is bad. People get fired left and right. Even before the pandemic stuff was happening, when the wrestlers were getting fired and laid off and whatever. People, you hear creative people all the time. They're there for like a year and change and they're gone, right? That's a revolving door in that department. There's, they don't respect people's time and work-life balance and things. There's no direction. Things change on a regular basis all the time. And it's just like there's no connection between the executives, which would be like Vince and the McMahon family in general, or the, and the employees. It's just like it's just weird. And it's like I don't want to work for a company like that. Why do I work for Vince McMahon? I've seen, I know about him. We've done our research about him. I don't want to work for him. So I think that's that's going to come more into light now. Just how toxic of a culture it could be, corporate wise for WWE. As far as Vince and losing power and not being a part of WWE no more, I guess it's possible because we've, like I said, we've seen other executives stuff like that lose their jobs over stuff like this. Or get voted out. Or be pressured into stepping down in some way. I'm not sure the public pressure will ever get to Vince, though. He just doesn't care. If he If he doesn't have to go, who's going to make him go? If it's up to him, he's going to die in at, exactly. at, at, at Gorilla. He's not <laughs> retiring. If he, if he was, he would have done that already, probably. Or at least be winding down. No signs of winding down. And doesn't seem he's a very stubborn man. We know this. Again, this is the Vince McMahon we all know. <laughs> I don't see him 
having uh, his the board of his company go like, hey, man, we think you should step down. And him being like, you know what? Y'all right. For the betterment of the company, I'm going to step away. No. Hell no. He only would have stepped away in the mid-90s if he went to jail. <laughs> like, yeah. when he was under trial, he didn't step away. He just put a contingency plan in place. He ain't doing that now. And it, and it sucks because it's, he, he should probably lose power. I know a lot of fans are like, oh, my God, he's still running creative. It's a mess in WWE right now. On top of all the injuries they have and on top of just bad television in general, oh, also you have this. Jeez. What's and, next? And he relishes it. It's like, come on, dude. We're, we're just tired of you. Like, please stop doing this. <laughs> it, it's one of those things that's like, he is our villain, and he will be the villain until he dies. And, Pretty uh, much. That's, uh, like, he loves it. It's like I said, if you've seen The Boys, you know, Homelander is that exact same character. Um, it, and that's, it, it reminds me of it. It's a lot of the things I hear. So, no, I haven't worked there. No, I, I, like you said, I wouldn't really like to work there unless it's like a remote job. Like, I, I ain't moving to Stanford. I don't know if their salaries are coincide with the cost of living up there because I know that's high. It's like... That's there's a reason you said uh, a lot of people they're there for like a year and change and then leave. That's generous, I think. A year and change. I know people that are there for like six months and get on out. I think Andrew Goldstein was there, friend of the show, six months. Then he pieced out. But that's it's it's ridiculous, and uh, you can't have that type of culture. And you, like WWE's not okay. Sure, they're a global entertainment company, whatever. But literally, like you said, work life balance. You can easily, WWE can easily remain that global entertainment entity if they just let people relax and take off and, like, have a personal life. Like, their whole life doesn't need to be WWE just because it's Vince's whole life. Right, that's That's, why, because it's Vince's. Everybody's on Vince's time. It's not like, oh, you work on your own time. It's on Vince's time. And Vince's time doesn't have time. Right. He's all yeah. over the place. That's right. So that's uh, rough for people. And that the problem is WWE is at the point, though, where they're almost like too big to fail because they have so many right. revenue streams that are guaranteed between the TV deals, the streaming platforms, or the, or the Peacock deal, Saudi Arabia, whatever, billion-dollar bags they secure on a regular now. That's just what they do. So, what reason would Vince be like, oh, we're going to make money anyway. I'm just going to stay here. Yeah. He's bored otherwise, I guess. Yeah. Like, but on screen, things are also bad in WWE because everybody's hurt. Randy Orton's out for, the, for probably the rest of 2022. And WWE, Vince McMahon, I guess, feels like he has nowhere else to go. But to book Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar again for the championship at SummerSlam, which is like, again. <laughs> like, I honestly believe he was like, uh, there were reports that Brock uh, was the plan because of Orton. I could totally buy the fact that Vince is like, I'm going to bring back Brock so he can, you know, uh, kind of make this story go away about me. Like, I, he's e- that egotistical where he thinks 
Brock Lesnar showed up, everyone would forget about this man. Like, I honestly believe Maybe. he could believe that. Or I make everyone forget about the fact that there's no one else to challenge Roman Reigns. Because yeah, they haven't built doing. At they their haven't own built doing. They had to build anyone. They haven't built anyone since Roman Reigns won the title. And even though Roman Reigns, I've been a fan of him and his reign for the last what two years. Mm-hmm. It's been to me good fun to watch. However, they could have been at the same time building someone else. There's no backup plan for Roman Reigns. <laughs> they just didn't even bother to put someone near him that could challenge him for the title, except Cody, I guess. Cody would have been one person, but no one else. And it's like, this is what happens when you put all your eggs in one, maybe two baskets. Maybe two. And that one basket, that second basket, isn't even there all the time. You only have access to it half the time. (laughs) That's it. And there's nothing else. They just beat everybody like a drum and didn't build up any credible challenges along the way that didn't see Roman. There are other people on the roster who didn't lose to Roman. They're not in a spot, though, to remotely challenge Roman in a stadium for SummerSlam. That's WWE's fault. (laughs) And it'll always be WWE's fault. It's their doing, like you said. And what else is their fault is they had to move Money in the Bank because that was going to be a stadium show. Yeah, what is wrong with that? And now they moved to an arena because apparently ticket sales were Because slow. The, it's like, there's such a thing called the it, law of diminishing returns. They really you, thought like Money in the Bank was a WrestleMania type thing. And I guess now that's not true because it's not enough to fill out a stadium. Like it's a good – I right. still love the Money also, in the Bank concept, but – you're doing right. football stadiums with seventy thousand for right. money in the bank. How in about one, you do two in a, one month? Like that's it's right. impossible. How, how about you do a soccer stadium, like an MLS stadium that there they got go. plenty of around the country now? That seat like thirty. Yeah, you could do that for SummerSlam too. As a matter of fact, and leave WrestleMania as the big football stadium show. Maybe you try to find an MLS stadium or something like that somewhere in this in this country. There's one in DC. There's one in here in well, not technically Philly. It's in Chester, but it's not far. Somewhere, nice area. right? And it's not. You can still say Philly. That they, they, they'll right, do exactly. that. Hell, the team I mean, that plays there is called the Philadelphia Union. Right. <laughs> They're not the Chester the, Union. If you call the uh, Meadowlands New York, you could call Chester uh, Philly. <laughs> exactly, right? That's in our coverage area at the Enquirer, right? <laughs> Chester. They're not. And again, they're not the Chester Union. They're the Philadelphia Union. So, I, again, you don't have to do football stadiums. You don't have to book multiple in one summer, like you said, like. There's such a thing as a law of diminishing returns. You do it too much, it's not going to have the same effect over time. They didn't Don't even do book it. Two, they book three because there's one in the UK. I mean, it's not in America, sure, but right. No, that's that's going to that's a big deal. I would I would say yes, do that. Make that the second stadium show of your summer, or I guess it would be September, right? That, that castle, yes, the, early September. So I would have late summer, make SummerSlam, early July or late June. Space Some, out, but. but I would not do another stadium show in the states, especially at a football stadium. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not the Raider Stadium. Try, try DC United Stadium. <laughs> like, try Minnesota Minneapolis FC. Into my like, whatever MLS team you want to name that has their own stadium. Try one of them. Because guess what? They, they exist, and they you can pull up thirty thousand people in those stadiums. We talked about that years ago. It's like, oh. Instead of running Brooklyn for SummerSlam, run the soccer stadium, Red Bull Arena, and over the, you know, in the shadows of New York City over in Jersey, 30,000 or so, boom, there you go. 
that's that's what do we know? What do we know? Um, but yeah, it's in WWE's in shambles, man. It's not looking good. It's a sloppy shop. <laughs> it's a sloppy shop, bro. Taz said it. It's very much indeed a sloppy shop right now. It looks like a sloppy shop, and it comes straight from the top. If you know the boss is getting is doing it, who else is involved? And you think this is also the first time this stuff type of stuff has happened? I'm willing to bet that you could uncover if you dug deep enough years and years of this type of stuff. Well, I think they've already the whole reason that came to light is because the he's been investigated since April, and that unearthed a ton of NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, uh, not just the one he had with uh, the paralegal that he had an affair with. So, I mean, there's a lot more, and right. if it's if it's him, uh, you know, it's other people because that culture, like you said. Uh, guy at the top doing it you're gonna have all those mostly guys i'm sure uh doing yep. the same thing yep there's no telling what else is happening and i'm sure there's a lot of stories that could be told from a lot of people who have been in, yep. caught up in that web known as the wwe but it always felt like vince and linda were like married for legal reasons and lo and <laughs> behold you know like, pretty much are yeah, we haven't even seen them publicly in a long time together we don't know we don't know the the uh the details of their marriage or the relationship and stuff like that they've got, I, I honestly kept that relatively quiet over the decades that we've yeah, seen them on television when linda like ran for senate and uh part of trump's cabinet we didn't really hear much of that so. right yeah so <sighs> wwe man it's not clean good yourself right now. up please not good right now like it's bad said, enough having the nickname like uh, uh the reputation as a wrestling fan it's like you're making us look bad man. Like, that too but also you uh, you're creating victims exactly Let's not do that too exactly they're they're the you know i, I kind of just with us being wrestling fans but um those are the victims are like they deserve the most justice and hopefully uh they can get it yeah, whatever so. however long it takes or uh whatever this investigation unveils hopefully uh, the victims get their justice. Yeah, so time will tell on that. Not all to a good start, though, with that story. Uh, but before we get started with Great American Bash in 1996, we got to send our condolences to the families of Dave Hebner and Tim White, two legendary referees that we were all seeing throughout our childhood uh, in our time watching wrestling. They both passed away this weekend. Dave Hebner at the age of 73. Uh, of course, Dave is the twin brother of Earl. Hebner, and of course, they're famously known for. I'm usually on this show, Earl Hebner gets ragged on by Nick all the time. But Dave and Earl together are famously known for the twin ref angle Saturday night's main event with Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase. Still one of the best, to me, one of the best angles in wrestling history. 100%. Wrestling history. If I was watching that live, I would have been like, oh my God. Like, right, in the I can't 80s? Imagine. Yeah, in man. the 80s? When you didn't know, I think Dave was the one that was working there first, and then Earl showed up that night. I believe so, yeah. So, like, can you imagine? You just see Dave Hebner, and then all of a sudden there's another Dave Hebner. You're like, what in the hell is <laughs> then, going on here? the storyline is Ted DiBiase paid plastic surgery right. for someone to look exactly like a ref. Like, Trem- that is classic. Tremendous. <laughs> look, I don't hate giving Vince McMahon credit for anything, but got to give him credit it for that. It probably angle. wasn't that his was idea. Tremendous. He was probably just like, sure. <laughs> tremendous angle 
but yes, rest in peace to him. Earl Hebner actually was at Slam yes. Slammiversary yes. along with uh, Brian Hebner, and they paid tribute to Dave, uh, and that was that was nice to see. But yeah, rest in peace yes. to Dave Hebner. My thoughts are and prayers are with uh, the White family and the Hebner family. Uh, hating on Earl is uh, a, a funny bit of mine, uh, but I don't. Obviously, uh, I won't hate on him here. I, I wish him all the best and his family all the best during this time. Yeah. Tim White, again, Pat, City 8. And uh, for all intents and purposes, was a really nice guy from everything I've heard about him. Uh, he had a, he was, again, in the attitude there, I remember Tim White. Tim White, Teddy Long, Earl Hebner, Scott, uh, was it Mike Kyoto? And uh, mm, who's another referee that was back in Jimmy Corderas? Jimmy Corderas, yep, yeah. another referee from back in the day. So they because that's when Jim Ross we announced the referee names. That's why right. we knew Tim White. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also Tim White was like a, around the wrestling business a long time before that, including being pretty much Andre the Giant's handler and like best friend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Tim White was a legend in the business, uh, and it's sad to see him pass away in an untimely fashion at the age of 68, but we wished both of them to rest in peace and condolences to both of their families, uh, the Hebner and the White family. Uh, It's unfortunate, but may they rest in peace. We send our love to them, and we're big fans. So, um, again, rest in peace to Dave Hebner and Tim White. Absolutely. All right, after that tough conversation about Dave Hebner and Tim White, are you ready? To dive deep into Great American Bash, nineteen ninety six. Sure, why not? Oh, that doesn't sound exciting at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you don't sound excited for this. Took, uh, I'm very oh, excited okay. for this one. Okay, all right. Well, let's do it. My team's ready. Flair and Anderson, the coach is ready. I hope those two pigskin buffoons are ready. And Savage, you think you're going to get your hands on me? You're battling mistaken. You're not going to tear me apart. I'm not worried. I'm not scared. I'm not worried. <laughs> Sound pretty worried to me, Brain. Coach, my 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 coach, Watch out for Mongo. Sounds paranoid to me. Giant, you've chokeslammed me through tables, you've chokeslammed me in the ring. But you know what? I'm still standing here because I'm the total package. You're going to find out why. I've already got two titles, and I'm coming after yours. Lex Luger, don't bother looking up the definition of the Giant Edition. <laughs> I hate the Giant's promos. He's terrible. Poor promo back then. <laughs> Oh my God! The big boys are playing. Where the big boys play, and we will hear that a million times during this show. <laughs> this show, Great American Bash, took place June sixteenth, nineteen ninety six, on Father's Day. It emanated from the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland, according to good old Wikipedia, which has never let us down. And always factual. Nine thousand people exactly were in exactly. attendance. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but this show, like I said earlier. It's a show, but it's also the final show before the show that everybody remembers from this year from WCW, Bash at the Beach. So you get this is a glimpse of a pre-NWO WCW, and it's interesting how they kind of were talking about this upcoming massive angle beforehand. 
And there's a lot of talk about this is where the big boys play. And <laughs> look at the adjective. Play, right? That happened around this time, I'm sure. Um, but there's a lot of talk about the war and the, between the, the companies. Who do they work for and all this stuff. So it's a lot going on at this time period. But this is also the Great American Bash, which is one of the oldest pay-per-views in wrestling. It, honestly, this is the 10th annual Great American Bash. Only the 6th, though, under the World Championship Wrestling banner. Mm. Of course, the event was the brainchild of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, all the way back in 1985 when it started. And it started out as like a tour of shows. It wasn't just one show. It was like a tour of shows throughout the summer, known as the Great American Bash. And they ha- even made a trip up here in Philly, I believe, in 86 at, at Veterans Stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look that up. I should have looked this up i guess before i did this i just talking off of memory now (laughs) as i type uh into my computer about the great american bash however let's see here philadelphia where is it at i know it happened i know it happened (laughs) where is it (laughs) i know it happened hold on a second 90 something here we go 1986 July 1st, 1986, was when the Great American Bash stopped in Philadelphia. So, there you go. It was in, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember what stadium it was in. It looks like, I think it was Veterans Stadium. So, there you go. How about that? How about that? I'm going to look it up again just to double check. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure I'm not saying the wrong thing. Um, But, yes, it looks like that was the case. Veterans Stadium. July 1st, 1986, um, that was a stop. We were a stop on the Great American Bash Tour. So it's like there are about 10,000 people in attendance, close to 11,000 people in attendance. So there's that. So, again, started out as a tour of shows, but by 1988, it was a pay-per-view. Uh, and then it's been a, it was a pay-per-view ever since. Of course, WWE eventually used the pay-per-view name starting in 2004 through 2008. In 2009, though, they dropped the Great American part of the name and just renamed it, quote-unquote, The Bash. Terrible decision. No one bought that pay-per-view, and they didn't do it again the next year. Don't know why they did it back in, was it, 2009. But now, The Great American Bash started out, again, as a tour, like a stadium tour of shows throughout the eastern part of the United States, including here in Philly, drawing tens of thousands of fans at every venue, now it's just an NXT television event. <laughs> Coming up. And, and the next one is July 5th, and it has a main event of Braun Breaker versus Cameron Grimes for the NXT championship. That's a long way from where we were wow. back in 1985 <laughs> when the first main event, at least for one of the shows, was we got a Dusty Rhodes versus Tully Blanchard match for the TV title and a steel cage. Now, it's Cameron Grimes and Braun Breaker on USA Network. (laughs) (laughs) Things have changed over the last 35 years or so. But as you heard, the show started with a series of promos. We had Bobby Heenan, Randy Savage, Kevin Green, and Steve Mongo McMichael, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and a whole slew of others, including the Giant, who I will mention later on how much I don't like his promos (laughs) as the Giant. Really bad. But then, of course, you hear Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes on the call. 
they're not joined by Bobby DeBrain Heenan because he is the head coach of the Four Horsemen in the, the big NFL versus WCW match. More on him later. But again, they say this is where the big boys play. We only heard it no less than 100 times during this show. Uh, so this won't be the last time we say it. Uh, but we then get a rendition of the national anthem. Uh, they said there was like a presentation of the country's colors. It was really just one guy holding the flag, which I guess technically is it, it is a presentation of the colors. But when I hear that, I always think of like three or four guys coming out with multiple flags, not just one guy holding a flag and the, the song playing over the speakers. I feel like we could have we could have gotten more than that. <laughs> yeah, just like the the uh, music version, no lyrics or anything. Right. Yeah. Just an instrumental. That's, uh, we that's got the fire- word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> they, I got you. I got you, baby. I got you. We didn't get fireworks at the end because, you know, it's nice. It's fourth. It's, it's <laughs> the summer. It's patriotic. It's a great American bash. So you got to have some fireworks. Uh, and then we move on to Dusty Rhodes saying, uh, well, Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes talking about the death of Dick Murdoch, which happened not too long before that. He died actually the night before at the age of only 49 due to a heart attack. So that happened on June 15th, 1996. Of course, Dick Murdoch was the former tag team partner of Dusty Rhodes when they were collectively, collectively known as the Texas Outlaws. So there's that. Another somber note here on this episode before we get into the show. Because we, when we go from Dick Murdoch, naturally, you got to follow it up with a tag team match with fire and ice. Right? That's right. Fire and Ice, of course, Ice Train and Scott Norton. I mean, Ice is definitely Ice Train is definitely the ice in that scenario. Scott Norton, he represents the fire. So there you go. Uh, they're going against the Steiner brothers in the opening match of the Great American Who Bash grew in 1996. Up. They grew up as brothers. Yeah. Obviously, the Steiner brothers, brothers, they grew up together. They were born uh, like that, right? Yeah, yes, they were born yeah. like that. They were born <laughs> as brothers. That's exactly right. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, man, they're born like that, right? Like, where does he get this stuff? He's he's hysterical. I feel certain things about Lex Luger. <laughs> he feels certain things about him, man. He's, he's he's expressing himself. He is. He's expressing himself. Um, <laughs> I, I put that this is this match pretty much. Uh, well, first of all, we've seen Fire and Ice before on our deep dives, but that match was them breaking up. This is them actually being a tag team, and now we see why they broke up because they weren't very, <laughs> they weren't very good as a tag team. Um, but I will say that this match was Biggie's like dream match because it was nothing but big meaty men slapping meat <laughs> and people getting talked. Take it easy, Kevin Green. But people were getting tossed around left and right. Okay. But the match wasn't really nothing to write home about. At the end, we got Scott Steiner landing what Jim Ross would call a modified Frankensteiner <laughs> to pick up the win. Uh, not a good Frankensteiner. <laughs> yeah, it was not a good Frankensteiner. And even Shivani and Dustin was like, yeah, he didn't get he didn't get all of that one. <laughs> oh, we saw it. They had no recourse to be like yeah they screwed up <laughs> yeah there's nothing you can say to that at least jr would be like 
it was a modified right. modified move or inverted. <laughs> it literally makes like I don't even know if he says that nowadays at AEW, but uh, I bought that. I was like, okay, yeah. he tried to do this, but he did the best he could, and it's modified. So boom, right. that's all you it. need. Just he changed that it. word. He just tried something different in this very important match, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know it turned out how it turned out. There it is. That's that's what happens. We try th- different things. Uh, but, but yeah, we, I don't. I, we I have nothing else in this out, match. We also found out during this match that Tony Schiavone has never been held, hit in the elbow. Do you know that? Uh, no. A, a little bit earlier, sometimes you get a shocker like a stinger. You know, you ever get hit on the, hit on the elbow, Tony? No, never have. You never been hit on the <laughs> elbow? Hold nope. that thing up here. Let me oh, knock wait that. Wait a second. Here. Well, anyway, it stings you down there, and you, you lose your uh, your equilibrium for a little while on it, but then it comes back. What? And that's what happened with Scott. <laughs> what is Dusty talking about? That was no one. idea. But. How has Tony Schiavone has pristine elbows for I don't know the first half of his life at this point? I don't know. Right. What? Never been hitting elbows. You never been hitting a funny bone. That's what Dusty was trying to talk about. Right. Right. So just and Tony anyway, Schiavone. Let me let, let me hit it for you. Yeah. Hold right that now. thing up there. Let me knock it out. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Then he says, "Yeah, it feels funny, and you you lose your equilibrium. Right. <laughs> what? I I lose my balance because my elbow hurts." <laughs> That's not usually what happens. Maybe Apparently. my ear, not my elbow. <laughs> you just have to shake it off and go, ah, funny bone, ow. Right. And you shake it off and then you feel better. <laughs> he said, knock off your equilibrium. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, we need to get a look at Tony Schiavone's elbows to make sure they're in like a mint condition. Yeah. Even by these days. Because back in 96, apparently, he had never been hit in the elbow. Ever. Ever. I feel like he was lying. <laughs> I, I have a feeling he was as well. <laughs> Never been hit in the elbow. But Dusty had to just go with it. <laughs> right. So Dusty's elbows are all torn up. He was dropping elbows right. every night. <laughs> yes, right. Bionic elbows? Come on now. But yeah, I got nothing else from that match. We talked about elbows and <laughs> and modified yeah, but, Frankensteiners. Uh, yeah, this, this before the Steiners really were... Uh, title contenders uh, with the tag team titles. They were just kind of there for a while. Um, really, I, I love the Siders when they started going against Hall and Nash. Like, that's where I love them. So and anything before that, I'm just like, eh, I'm not, like, impressed with. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Fire and Ice aren't exactly going nuts as a tag team. They, they did try the uh, Doomsday Device, I think. Yeah, yeah, they, they tried it, and uh, then that's when he uh, got hit with the bulldog. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes now. Sorry, I uh, <laughs> try to put two and two together. Jeez, these notes are not good. What did I do? <laughs> you wrote them. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so I, I said, Norton and Train go for a doomsday device type move. Scott shoves Train off the rope. Bulldog finisher, train stops the count, and then Steiner hits the Frankensteiner. Scott Steiner. The modified Frankenstein. I should have put modified in there. Yeah, yeah. I put in parentheses a terrible one. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's another descriptor, too. Yeah, yeah. So. We'll try to be nice and say modified. <laughs> and you can Scotty see, like, Steiner. I think Scott Norton was even, like, talking to him as he was pinning him. Probably, like, my bad or something like that. <laughs> He's probably like, uh, did you try to modify it? I didn't know. I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't aware. You were, this is a modified version. You gotta let me know that, brother. Uh, <laughs> when we move on from that, we didn't go backstage. 
for an interview with Mean Gene Oakland as he's interviewing the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Gene Oakland starts off the interview, though, calling Jimmy Hart a Nathan Lane <laughs> wannabe. <laughs> Which, I mean, look, if you're going to be a wannabe, Nathan Lane ain't bad. Because he's hysterically funny, and he's done all a whole slew of things. I mean, I just this is just the tip of the iceberg of his like his uh, catalog. I didn't even dive deep into it like I really wanted to. I could have at least, but we got Birdcage, we got Lion King. He's uh Timon. What one is he? Timon or Pumbaa? I can't remember which one off the top of my head. But the producers, Mouse Hunt, all bangers, all classics. I honestly don't even remember what this promo was about. I wrote that in my notes. I didn't even listen to this promo. I just was like, hey, Nathan Lane, let's look up his catalog. <laughs> this promo was nothing. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I guess up to this point, Arn Anderson, the, the Four Horsemen were still a thing, but Brian Pillman had left WCW by this point. So there were only three, I guess, Benoit, Anderson, and Flair. And uh, I guess in the middle of all this, Anderson was like a Dungeon of Doom uh, sympathizer-ish. Like, he kind of was... <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, obviously, we're going to see later on that it, it's he's not, but uh, Kevin Sullivan was basically just saying, it's me and you, Benoit, nobody else, no other horsemen's involved, and it was a false count anywhere, Matt, so we're going to have fun with that, uh, talking oh, yeah. about it. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of like... I'm always interested in these types of promos because they're so different than what WWF had at the time because all that is even scripted and even, like, notes... But these guys in WCW, they literally, you could tell, they just talk off off the top of their head because there are so many mess-ups in these promos. And that's what I like about it, you know, because it's, right. it's not supposed to be so pristine and smooth, you know? So I, I that's what I like about this era, WCW especially. I mean, they talk like human beings because exactly. human beings make mistakes sometimes when they speak. They're not perfect orators. Like, I'm coming hard! Whoa, boy. <laughs> I have like a visceral reaction to it every time. Oh, he really said that on television. Um, it's all right. He was he's fired up, and he didn't. They can give Kevin Green a script. No, <laughs> he don't give Kevin Sullivan the script. It would probably would have been a good idea to give Kevin Green the script though. So, yeah, I'm okay with the script for certain people. <laughs> Not everybody. Kevin Sullivan? No, nah, he don't need it. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> we move on though to the next match which is for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship it is the champion Conan defending against El Gato you're probably wondering who in the hell is El Gato never heard of this guy before well you've heard of the real person that's playing El Gato which is Pat Tanaka famously known for another racist gimmick under a mask known as the Orient Express. Instead of being Asian, though, I guess he was Mexican. I don't know. Because he could wear a mask. They did the same thing with was it Kato in, in Orient Express, right? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But Conan. Let's give Conan some flowers. Because he was a big star in Mexico at this point. And he just got like a Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh some sort of like a like pretty much that's what it was pretty much a lifetime achievement at Triple Mania this past weekend, um, which is obviously the biggest wrestling show in Mexico. 
Um, but like Conan was like the first big star for AAA from from what I remember back in the day. And they even talked about it during this match is that he had his own television show and uh, and that he was a massive star. And so yeah, Conan, U.S. champion, and he was a Mexican champion. I guess he was a AAA champion too. So big deal back in the day. And I think people forget about that because they know about his days in WCW when he was K Dog. He wasn't necessarily the biggest star in the world, but he was a guy that people knew, obviously. Before he really got entrenched with American wrestling, though, he was a massive star in Mexico back in the day. I should DM him on Twitter and ask him if uh, he listens to our podcast. We should, right? I've heard he's done that a couple times here and there. (laughs) Just a a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, just a couple times here and there. Uh, I want to see, I want to find out what, was the actual award that he got from AAA this past week? Because I can't remember the name of the actual award he got. It's funny you, uh, you had thrown in just this past week. I thought when you were talking about that, you meant like during this time frame in 96. I was like, really? He got like a Lifetime Achievement Award when he was like no, young? No, this past weekend. <laughs> sorry. So that makes more sense. Yeah, I, I sorry to specify that. Uh, was this no, past I'm just weekend. stupid. <laughs> no no we won't do that no 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 no. i got i gotta look at it because i now want to know i hate when it's like things i remember um and like and i saw it and then i was like yeah i, I want to talk about it now and it's like but i can't remember now i gotta like think about it. i gotta like find out what this was now <laughs> what did he get from slammy AAA? award it wasn't a slammy award ah Unfortunately, the top hat and go lifetime achievement award. Ah, I can't remember the name of the damn award. It's a shame. Here we go. Hold up. What's this? Oh, it's in Spanish. <laughs> I can't. I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, uh, let me see if I can translate it. What's uh, this? Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna try to repeat this on time on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna butcher that. We'll just move on. Just know he got a, a nice award. He was honored. He was honored at AAA. This at Triple Mania this past weekend. Which, of course, again, is Triple A's biggest show. Uh, but this match with El Gato and Conan, again, I got nothing from it, bro. It, Conan hit a sunset flip powerbomb out of the ring. And then it was a really uneventful finish. And that was it. You, you have anything I mean, from it? You got, you got this, Jim. It would be quite a feather in the cap of El Gato. I, I, know I a, guess. I know a cap cat doesn't have feathers, but... Nevertheless, it would be quite a. It's Randy Eller showing us the U.S. Heavyweight Title Belt. Quite a feather for him to win that you U.S. Spit Heavyweight it out. Title. Spit it out. <laughs> feather in the hat if he wins the title. That's all you had to say. A feather in the hat if you win the title. That's all. That's all. Not to filibuster here. Not to filibuster here. <laughs> Not to filibuster here. <laughs> a feather in the hat. <laughs> the hat. I can't even say it like Dusty, man. Dusty was the best. Uh, he really was the best. Classic, man. Classic. He really was the best. Uh, but yeah, Conan, his, he wins the match and he retains his title. And we move on to another interview with Mean Gene Oakland, who is backstage with Sting, the man called Sting, who is not wearing the bleach blonde look anymore. He's got the short black hair, but still has the surfer face paint. He was still the franchise. He's still very over. Kind of in a weird spot, though. Obviously, we know what's coming next in about the next year or so, but in a weird spot. This promo, though, also very weird. <laughs> Do we have this, or we can just talk through it? 
I I have it, but I don't want to play it because we don't have to play it. It's so ridiculous. Because basically, Gene Oakland, even to go as far as using the hand motion, yeah, uh, insinuated along with saying that Steve Regal, Lord Stephen Regal, of course today is known as William Regal, was sissy and prissy as they called it. And like I said, Gene Oakland did a little hand motion. Don't imagine what hand motion was. Uh, and Sting made fun of Stephen Regal for drinking with his pinky up, and wonder if that's how the boys were bred in the United Kingdom because that's how that's not how they're bred here in the good old U.S. of A. Oh, drinking with your pinky up, there's nothing wrong with that. When I drink mimosas or at brunches, I do that all the time. <laughs> Hell, why not? Mm. Okay, but also yes, very strange in hindsight. Maybe at the time it was fine, but not great in hindsight. But after all of that, Sting just like, I guess he forgot everything. <laughs> just like, sent it back to Gene to ask him another question. He's like, yeah, you, you take it away, Gene. It's like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. That whole promo was weird. This is this this show is not off to a great That's start. Saying, I will man. say that. Like, Listen, you don't need writers for wrestling, but uh, this is what writers will point at when they're like, yes, you do. You need us. I know there's a big to do on Twitter discussion about wrestling having writers and like Hollywood writers and stuff like that. But this, this is what they will point to and be like, see, you need writers. And uh, so, right. Even the another best bad actors, promo. Like, they'll probably say even the best actors have scripts. And it's like, yeah, right, right. not everybody necessarily needs it in wrestling, but something like you said, some people do apparently. Uh, and we saw a couple of them on this show <laughs> here at the great American bash. In I'm 1996, yeah, Kevin Green needed a script, boy. I tell you, he he was fantastic in football, but he was no, no telling what he was liable to say on the mic in wrestling. Watch out, we're coming hard. We're gonna set a record. We're gonna get like he a, enunciated a little, that. We he used like two e. A's, two or three A's in that. Hard. Do they, st- do they still do the little E on Apple Podcasts for explicit? Because we're gonna get that on this episode. You've played that too I many times to already. It, but uh, we'll see. He <laughs> <laughs> might be like, whoa, this is, this is for adults only, this podcast. Not suitable for work. Because <laughs> we're off to a rocky start. But we're moving on to another match, which is very interesting in hindsight, given things that are happening today with the two men. But... It was like two up-and-comers facing each other in a singles match. It is Diamond Dallas Page going up against Marcus Alexander Bagwell of the American Males. He apparently won the coin toss to get their hand, get his hands on DDP with his tag team partner. And now here we are. But again, this matchup is very interesting, given that DDP and Bagwell's relationship and how it is today. Because this time last year, Buff Bagwell was in rough shape. Right, we talked about it on the podcast. He got into legal trouble, and he just he, his life was not going the way he wanted it. And then he eventually moved in with DDP and the accountability crib. And I'm not sure how exactly Buff is doing at the moment, but at least as, a, as we heard of a couple months ago, he was doing a lot better. Right. So and he had some great Twitter moments along the way too. Yeah. <laughs> Like when he decided to defend Nyla Rose, who I'm sure is just one of the many days that she's been attacked on Twitter 
on social media. So there's many, many, many vile things are said to her on a regular. I forget what exactly why this was happening in this particular time, but but Bagwell backed her up and said, "Hey, man, I think it's because he just used the pronoun she, and that's where it all stemmed from." Oh, like all it was like, man, she's awesome or something, and someone replied, yeah. "You mean he?" And then it no. took off from there. He responded to that, and he said what he started said. Started taking notice. Yeah, he backed. Nyla rose up and said he's 100% behind. is the stuff. All right, well, 100% behind the LGBTQ community. Yep. That was dope. And that was a nice show of support for Nyla Rose, who, again, I'm sure on a regular basis gets just so many vile things said to her and her mentions and DMs and what whatnot. Um, and I think if people saw it, they'd be like, wow. Cause yeah. I, I'm willing to bet it's a constant stream of terrible things yep. that she doesn't acknowledge on Twitter, but that don't mean it's not getting seen uh, by her. So, but yeah, good for Buff to do that. But got ended, not involving like coming backing somebody up. He was getting ready to fight in another incident. I don't know if you heard about this. He apparently almost got into a fight with Butterbean at DDP's house. Did you hear about this? No. Because apparently Butterbean was also at the accountability crib. Why? Don't know. I think I saw <laughs> right? a picture of like a group and they were together, but that might have been a few months ago. If I'm thinking of course, Butterbean, legendary boxer, and for wrestling fans, most famously known as knocking the <sighs> holy hell, all the hell out of <laughs> Bart Gun. I mean, took that man's soul. He hasn't been the same since. That man's head almost went smooth off his shoulders. At WrestleMania here in Philly, of all places. Finish him. I mean, that's what happened, bro. <laughs> poor Bart Gunn. He should have never been in that position. The poor guy. Yeah. But apparently, and this kind of goes, we kind of can sort of tie this back into Nyla Rose a little bit, but apparently they were watching uh, at some point uh, a video of Buff Bagwell as part of the American Males, and Butterbean called it gay. And Bagwell took offense and was ready to fight Butterbean. And I'm willing to, I'm like, I, I thought, like, I'm sure Buff Bagwell over the years have heard a lot of stuff about his, how his character is on TV. Not just from fans, yeah. but from the boys backstage too, I'm sure. And I'm sure he's heard a lot of crazy things said to him that wasn't really bad at the time. It was just like, oh, they're just riffing and just ragging on him a little bit. Um, but and he wasn't even actually gay. Can you imagine if he was, though? What he would have heard, probably behind the scenes or right. from fans or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure that helps his him probably, you know, back up someone like Nyla Rose. I'm sure he heard a lot of stuff back in the day. He wasn't even actually gay. And, you know, there's so many people who get just such vile hatred toward them and we don't think about maybe Bagwell got some of that too. Don't know. That's yeah, possible. But we know Shawn Michaels did. <laughs> yeah, and Shawn took it in clearly I, very I audible on TV on Peacock. Still very audible. <laughs> yeah, they ain't they ain't editing that stuff out. And Shawn was the champ. Yeah, Shawn was the guy. So you can only imagine what Buff Bagwell might have heard in the mid nineties. Um, for some reason, you mentioned Peacock. DDP had his babyface music. On Peacock, <laughs> even though he was not a babyface yet, it was not. And when he comes out, he gets in the ring, gets in the microphone, and he ripped the Baltimore fans 
and their favorite baseball player, Cal Carl Ripken <laughs> Jr. As we called him, Carl Ripken Jr., not Cal. Uh, so there was that. Um, DDP had Bagwell on the mat and went for a kick at one point, and he missed. Swung and missed, hit the ground like Charlie Brown on the peanuts. And Shivani said, oh, he punted for the Baltimore Ravens. And you know what that did for me? Uh-oh. <laughs> Set off alarm bells. It's like, football knowledge? I get to express football knowledge on the podcast again? Oh! So that's interesting because I don't think the Ravens were even a team yet. Precisely. On the, on the field. I mean, well, on the field. Exactly. Right. I got, trust me, I got the background information, there baby. You, you know, I was there, ready. There you go. Football background info incoming. See, I because knew something, Ravens, though, because I knew they weren't on the field in 96. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. The Ravens hadn't played a game as the Ravens by this point in 1996. This is 1996 is technically the Ravens' first season. Oh. But if you recall, at the end of 1995, those players that were in the Ravens' uniforms in, in 96, at the end of 95, they were wearing Browns' uniforms because they were the Cleveland Browns. But the owner at the time, Art Modell, moved the team from Cleveland to Baltimore. I guess he wanted a new stadium. That's that's what my assumption is. I don't actually know the exact reason, but I assume it came moving to Baltimore came with the promise of a new stadium, which they eventually got. And I think I think they opened it in '99. Oddly enough, the same year the Browns actually came back to the NFL. Right, How about yeah. that? Yep. However, he moved them to Baltimore and rechristened them. They weren't the Baltimore Browns. They were the Baltimore Ravens. They named them after Edgar Allan Poe, who lived in Baltimore for a while and eventually died. And he's also buried in Baltimore. And, of course, Edgar Allan Poe is known for the poem, you know, Tell to a Heart and Quote the Raven and all that type of stuff. So, boom, Baltimore Ravens. It makes perfect sense. They got great colors, too, the purple and black. I think their mascots are called Edgar Allan and Poe as well. So, little information about that but baltimore was seen as a possible expansion market and for the nfl for a long time there's a lot of stuff going on all those rumors swirling about baltimore because the nfl was looking to expand in the 90s and baltimore had a team remember the baltimore colts were the baltimore's team up until 84 when uh the owners of the colts then moved the team out of Baltimore in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, literally just packed up and left in the middle of the night, and they went to Indianapolis in 1984. So when they expanded in the early 90s, they announced they're going to have expansion teams. Everybody thought Baltimore was going to get a team. Didn't happen. They went to Jacksonville and Charlotte, or Jacksonville and North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever. They became the Panthers, okay? So the Baltimore got spurned. However, in 1994... The CFL, the Canadian Football League, they was like, hey, you know what? We're going to put some teams in the U.S. And guess where we're going to put a team at? In Baltimore, because everybody misses Baltimore football. So they tried that. Now, look, the, the, the U.S. expansion from the CFL, a dud overall. It was bad because the field dimensions are different. It's hard to find stadiums. It just – also, you got to promote a Canadian Football League game to American fans. They're like, what is this? So did not work. But the team in Baltimore, though, did very well. This team was stacked, all right? They, they played two seasons, went to the Great Cup twice, and they won one. And that second one, they lost the first time, but they won the second one. They had a 15-win season, okay? And they are still, to this day, the only American team to ever win the Great Cup. 
So how about and they also gifting the curse on this thing though. They also drew a lot of fans at the stadium. Again, gifting the curse. More on that in a second. But they when they first became a team, they tried to rename themselves the Colts. Didn't happen. The NFL was like, nah, <laughs> we're not doing that. So they had to force themselves. They had to. They, they were forced to be called the Baltimore CFLers, but before being known as the Baltimore Stallions in 1995, the team had a lot of success. Again, on the field, they won a great cup. Went played in the a lot of fans in the stands, but it also showed the NFL it's like, hey, there's still fans in Baltimore. We might want to put another team there. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that CFL team. Mm, we'll put our team there, and that's what happened. Thus, the Ravens were on the way, and then. There was no U.S. expansion anymore from the CFL, and the Stallions went away. Well, actually, they didn't go away. They actually moved that team to Montreal and rechristened that team as the Alouettes, and that's who we are today, Montreal Alouettes, who were a CFL team. They went away, and they came back. So here we are. Now, football background info over. Well, I didn't know you that. Know I had to do it. I didn't know the CFL came now, so that's interesting. Yeah, now. they had teams in like Sacramento and Birmingham. Yeah. They didn't have a team in Philly, but they had a team in Baltimore, mm. and that team was stacked. That team was really good. Um, but yeah, they tried it for like two seasons. It did. So it was ninety seven the first Raven season. Ninety six is the first Raven season. Oh, was that year? Okay, so just, yeah, okay. ninety six. For some reason, I keep thinking ninety nine because the Browns came back in ninety nine. But I like that makes sense. They were. Yeah, ninety six. They were playing that's, a few years before the Browns came back. Right. Yeah. That's when they drafted Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden in the yeah. same draft. Yeah. And that, they could have been Browns players. Instead, they were Ravens players. <laughs> and they won a Super Bowl a couple years later with those two guys being the main pillars of the team. So, sorry, Cleveland fans. Still got to yeah, wait for another that's Super gotta Bowl. That's got to be rough, too. To... Yeah, it is rough. Now imagine the Eagles moving and winning the Super Bowl. I mean, we did for get what? our Super Bowl, so that was nice, but. The Eagles Being, moving uh, alone would be devastating right, to would, this town. This is really an would. Eagles town. It really, yep. Can you imagine the Eagles move? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it'd be devastating. So I'm assuming it was the same for, for Cleveland as well, but they got a team back a couple years later. So all is well. <laughs> no Super Bowl. <laughs> right, no Super Bowl, though. Not yet. But maybe one day. Maybe one day. Uh, but we move on. Uh, this match... Was very good, in my opinion. I've really enjoyed this match. Uh, I think people need a reminder. This match serves as a reminder that at one point, Buff Bagwell was an athletic babyface before he became Buff Bagwell. When he's Marcus Alexander Bagwell, he's seen as like this high flying babyface. It's really interesting to watch in hindsight because we know Buff Bagwell is a guy stretched down to the ring with the hat and he flexes the muscles, but he was like, you know, wipe me baby face at this point. The uh, first time I saw him was when he was teaming with Two Cold Scorpio. How about that? There you go. It was a few years They were a great this. tag team. Yeah. They were a great tag team. By this time, I was out on him, though. I was like, okay, he's annoying. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you, weren't, you weren't down with the American males? Uh, nah, nah. I mean, like, they were fine, but I was like, Bob Bagwell has so many different tag team partners. I'm done with them. Because he tagged with the Patriot. They were like Stars and Stripes and... That's so true. yeah, like any, any guy when I was a kid, any guy that like had multiple tag team partners, I always thought was a loser. So I'm like, man, this guy <laughs> like sucks. He can't keep a partner. And they may win the titles, but they don't have a good run with them. Like I was, I was a weird fan growing up. But man. also, it 
you were a kid, but it's also a sign yeah. of this person isn't a star. If they got, if they're rotating yeah. through multiple partners yeah. and they're constantly in a tag team division and they never just split off on their own. You're not you're not an idiot. You know you're a kid, but you're not stupid. You you can sense it too. Like yeah, I know he I was a tag the same team champion. I was just like, okay, what about right. him? You know, <laughs> here he is again with another tag team partner. Yeah, and another one. Like yep. I I can understand that. But we move on. Well, actually, no, we're not done with this match yet because DDP has to win with a diamond cutter, <laughs> and then he <laughs> then then we move on from it. <laughs> But he does win, and D- and Dusty Rhodes loves the diamond cutter. Like he's saying, the match is over even before he even yeah. hits move. He's like, oh, here it comes, here it is, he hit it. I guarantee you, it's over. Oh, it's <laughs> over, Daddy, and it is, Daddy. It's over. That diamond cutter, the most devastating move in professional wrestling. That's pretty much verbatim what he said on this show. <laughs> verbatim. Yeah. But we move on. We're backstage again with Gene Oakland. He, I think he's going to do an interview in between every match, it seems like. Yeah. But again, he's with the Mile of the South, Jimmy Hart. And this time he's with the world heavyweight champion, the Giant. Who was, like I said earlier, horrible on the mic at this point. <laughs> he was bad. And I understand he's very inexperienced. And eventually he got better. I'm sure he was just following directions at this point. So it's not really an indictment on him personally. It's just like, man, what was he getting his, who was his old heads out here telling him this is how he should cut promos? <laughs> like, where were the people to help him? Oh, yeah, you can't do that. You can't stop the giant. Huh? That's terrible. And, and, and especially because given who he actually is, who, who we know him to be, and he has so much more to offer as a personality, seeing this is just like, man, they just, oh, you big? You got to talk mean and menacing. That's it. That's the depth of your character. <laughs> okay. And, you know, again, giant Paul White. He was very inexperienced at the time. Very young, too. I think he was like in his early 20s still. He just did what he was told, I'm sure. I mean, hey, kid, you talk this way. We're going to make you the world heavyweight champion. How about it? Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I just say silly things. and They put the belt on me and put me in main events. Okay. <laughs> like, pay me money. Yep. Sign me up. I'd probably do the same thing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so I don't blame him. It's just, man, he got some bad teachers around him, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were trying to sabotage him. Sabotage. New guy coming up. Taking their spot. Pretty tough to sabotage the Giants. <laughs> He's 7'5". Well, he or whatever. doesn't know anything Seven about tall. So It's true, but I feel like somebody would have been like, hey, man, don't do that. <laughs> like yeah. we we're not gonna mess you up that bad, <laughs> but who knows? Who knows? Uh, but we move on again. It is now time for the WCW World Cruiserweight Championship. It is D. Malenko defending against Ray Mysterio in his WCW debut. How about that? At the very young age of twenty-one years old, barely old enough to drink. But the way Mike Tanay was talking about him during his match was as if he was already a legend at 21. That's why when when, when they talked about Rey Mysterio being on the cover of 2K22, the the, the WWE game, people were like, oh, what? He's a jobber. Like, are you (laughs) you dense? 
This is Rey Mysterio we're talking about. The man was a legend in his early 20s. He's one of the most, he's probably arguably the most famous luchador ever. But he shouldn't be on the cover. Okay. <laughs> Silly. I think I had even uh, heard that he started his career at 16. So he had already been like a pro for five years at this point. He started his career at 14. 14. Jeez. Uh, so that even worse. He's been <laughs> exactly. seven years. Jeez. Jeez. So just think like 21 years old. He's literally a veteran, <laughs> like a seasoned veteran. Pretty much. So that's it's crazy he's to think about. I, I didn't vet. even know this was his WCW debut. He's a seasoned I, vet and a 21-year-old body. Usually yeah. when you're a seasoned vet, your body is like on the decline as far as athleticism. Right. Like your brain, yeah. you're you're like sharp as attack. But your body, it takes a little more to catch up. It, t- it takes a little longer because you're older by that point. You've gotten, you gained the experience, but your body, it can't keep up because you're just getting older. And that's what happens. They're like He's in vet, but still in his athletic peak in his prime at 21. That's not normal. As my alarm goes off for no reason. <laughs> what did I set that alarm for? <laughs> 8 o'clock. I don't even it's know why I said it. Monday Night Raw time. That's what it was. No. No, that's not what it was at all. <laughs> you have an alarm for Raw. I probably said it yesterday <laughs> and then uh, forgot to not leave it on today. <laughs> off today. My bad, everybody. It, was, it had a good intentions. I'm pretty sure I had to set yesterday. Maybe even Saturday. I don't, I don't know. I just forgot. But back to this match. Uh, it's funny. We've had a, at least I've had a running joke on this show for a while. And that Rey Mysterio's WCW music at one point was garbage. And it sounded like Malenko's. And now here they are right back one after another coming out. I hear them both back to back, and it's like, "Yep, I was right." <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. Why did they do that to Rey Mysterio? No idea. This is the uh, Mike today had said this is the first ever match between the two as well. So I guess they didn't face each other at ECW if they both were in ECW at one point. They had ten more singles matches against each other after this one in WCW. And they also included uh, the next night on Nitro. They had a match. So that's according to cagematch.net. And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, Ten more singles matches. I thought they would have probably had more, given that this is 1996. And uh, seemingly the Cruiserweights would always fight each other, like, often. So I'm kind of surprised they were only ten All the time? Yeah. So Hmm. about that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a reason why that would be. I mean... Dean Malenko stopped wrestling How with the Cruiserweights. How does the ice cream truck come while. at 8 o'clock at night? It's the su- there's still sun outside. <laughs> They're going well, to try to like the latest I've ever heard it around here. No, so I've heard it hopefully pretty late in my hood. Up, in my hood, I've heard it late pretty pretty <laughs> before. I've, heard, I've seen it come at night before. <laughs> Plenty <laughs> of times the ice cream truck came at night. Yeah, like at 9 it's o'clock. usually maybe. around here, 3.30, 4 o'clock-ish. So. No, they come... I've I've had multiple ice cream cones when you can you know I know it because it's dark and I can see the lights is the the ice cream truck is lit up it's not lit up during the daytime obviously it's lit up at night so yeah that's that's a normal thing in my hood all right, <laughs> all right but um I think for a while though didn't D Malenko stop wrestling cruiserweights he was going for like a TV title and a US title so maybe that's part of it yeah, yeah he stopped that's being true. in the cruiserweight division so yeah. there's that. Uh, at one point in this match, Dusty Rhodes mentioned Danny Hodge, right? 
and his vice grip hands, which was true. <laughs> like Danny Hodge pretty much had the strongest hands of all time. <laughs> like at least what it, that's what it sounded like. Uh, for those who don't know, Danny Hodge is a leg- legendary amateur and professional wrestler. He's a three-time NCAA champion. He's in a whole bunch of Hall of Fame. So it's not even we know about this already. But three-time NCAA champion, NCAA champion, an Olympic silver medalist, and a seven-time NWA junior heavyweight champion. And again, a whole bunch of Hall of Fames. And if you listen to a JR interview, if you talk to JR multiple times, like we have, you probably heard him talk about driving around Danny Hodge back in the day, uh, from show to show back in the territory days and he, he actually saw that grip strength in action where he would just go to hardware stores and just break pliers just break pliers with his bare hands or crushing whole apples with his bare hands even into like well into his old age <laughs> like he was an older man busting these apples up and juices flying everywhere and it's like where do you get that grip strength from that's dangerous that's not normal. So a little bit of Danny Hodge knowledge there for the folks out there in the universe. But I don't know if you noticed this at one point, but Malenko, I know he's a man of a thousand holds. He showed me like hold 957 on this night oh, because man. he had the hold where he had Mysterio's arm and his like his leg in between his legs. And he like slapped his leg or like did something with his legs. And Mysterio started selling the arm and he sold it the rest of the match. I was like, what the hell was that? What do you even call that, Dean? Uh, I don't know, but there was a ton of it. it. It felt like Ray was never getting offense in. This match lasted almost 18 minutes, and it literally felt like 17 and a half minutes were Dean doing all these moves. <laughs> Wild moves. Yeah. Like, he's pulling all the tricks out the bag for Ray Mysterio. Um, eventually, we get talk of the hostile takeover that's potentially happening from tony Schiavone. of course that hostile takeover is the nwo that won't, that's not that's still on the, on the horizon but it's just it's just scuttlebutt on the hotline right now during this match um i mentioned that dusty was so damn good on commentary during this match i'm sure you got a couple clips maybe from this particular match nope but he he mentioned that the ref may step in and stop it yeah because Malenko was working on Mysterio's arm so much during the match mm-hmm. that he might stop it for Mysterio because Mysterio is so young and he has so much career left ahead of him. And it's like, man, that's, I never thought about, like, announcers don't talk about those types of details anymore. They, mm-hmm. Vince wants them to tell stories. But, like, that's a story right there that's playing along, that's playing out in this match. Will the referee stop it? And it doesn't take a lot of effort outside of the announcer saying, hey, yeah, this might happen. That's it. <laughs> like, it's so easy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But eventually, Rey Mysterio fights back, and he has a springboard somersault from inside the ring, outside of the ring, and people lost their minds because they didn't see that too often in the U.S. Mm-mm. Springboard somersault outside of the ring on the floor. And when they picked up the pace in this match, they were killing this match. They told a great story, and nothing really fell out of place. Everything made sense. Even with the high flying, it's still within a a story that makes sense. And then you got the dope finish of Mysterio trying to hit uh, a Hurricane Rana, but Malenko countering into a vicious-ass powerbomb, and then putting his feet on the ropes to win to remind (laughs) you, hey, I'm the bad guy here. And then he wins. 
But this match was great. This really like helped <laughs> save the show so far. Because well, I guess the last two matches, I would say Buff Bagwell, DDP, and this one, we're like, okay, there's some hope here at WCW. Yeah, I, I didn't watch this show live. Um, and I didn't even realize it was a mysterious WCW de- debut until I watched this show. So uh, it was very uh, planting the seed type thing for the Cruiserweight division. The Cruiserweight division wasn't even that old at this point. So I think Tony even said uh, guys like Mysterio, like the Cruiserweight division was built for guys like him. So yeah, we would obviously see him, Eddie Guerrero, uh, just dominate this division for years to come. And this was really planned that seed. You know, they we might have seen these types of matches on Nitro before the last few months, you know, when September 95 came on the air. But this is like different like special difference seeing it on a pay-per-view like it just added to that especially it being Mysterio's debut so and the fact that they would face each other the next night on Nitro so if you didn't see the pay-per-view you were going to see him on TV anyway I mean they probably couldn't have done the first two days of his WCW tenure better regardless if he won or lost yeah yeah so I'm sorry, I got distracted by some breaking news from WWE. I saw that. Yeah, Rhea Ripley, out of Money in the Bank. Yeah. Another just terrible thing that happening to... Not medically cleared, so something obviously, real injury occurred. Yeah. So another... Did the dumpster fire, burns on. It gets, it grows for WWE here in 2022. Now we have all the, you know, it's an opening promo with Bianca Belair in the ring, and now we have Becky Lynch, Liv Morgan, Asuka in there. So we're getting that whole promo out of the way now, I guess. Yeah. For that. The, per- the parade of WWE promos. production and creative is so, like you can tell Vince is still in charge because it's like, come on. Because it, it's <sighs> bad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, we don't need everybody coming out with a microphone and standing around the ring. Like, I hate that. It makes no sense to me. It's like, right. just like when they open the show with everybody on a ladder with microphones. Right. Like, that's it's so like they're just stupid. Having, they it, just decided to have a summit right the, now. The visual <laughs> is like, the visual is not good. Whatever anybody thinks about that. Like, oh, the visual is going to be great. Like, no, it's not. It's stupid. I hate that. No. I hate WWE production. Kevin Dunn's got to go, man. I hate it. It's him. one thing for it to happen. There's nothing for it to happen all the time. That's what right, makes you hate exactly. it. Exactly. It happens all the time. So, but there's that. Ray Mysterio, <sighs> Demolinko, y'all did the, did y'all thing. <laughs> you did. <laughs> back in 1996. Good job, guys. <laughs> we like y'all. But we don't like WWE's production. Which is funny because. Moving on, though. These guys go are ahead. still in the business. Ray Mysterio is an active participant on Raw. Demolinko is a producer for AEW. That's just great stuff. There good, you go. Good for both. Oh, and Paige, Paige is going to StarCast. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's not in WWE anymore, She's, or she no. won't be pretty soon. I got to get off Twitter because it's distracting us. Distracting me, I should say, uh, as I click another tweet. <laughs> <laughs> but, however. I'm coming, Heavy. Take it easy. <laughs> We're moving on. Backstage again with Gene Oakland, <laughs> who was with. He's Lex just like just imagine him wandering around, 
during the matches. Like, who could I get next? Who could I get next? <laughs> I mean, probably. I mean, look, if you are a journalist, you got to walk around and ask people for interviews. They don't just walk over to you and say, introducing my guest at this time, and like WWE or whatever. And you actually ask follow-up questions and stuff like that. It's, you know, again, different time <laughs> in, in wrestling history. But Lex Luger is the world television champion, and he's one half of the WCW World Tag Team Champions with Sting, uh, Mr. Sissy and Prissy himself, Sting. Uh, Lex Luger was never known for his uh, promos, and you see why with this one. Because <laughs> this was not one of the good ones. But, hey, Lex Luger was a star, but not because he could talk his ass off, i tell you that much. So, I don't know if you had anything from this promo that stuck out to you. Uh, nope. I'm reading my notes. I'm just like, nah. Nope. No, no clips. Uh, just boring old Lex. I'm assuming <laughs> this, is, Lex. this is where he was like coming out of his quasi heel turn because uh, yeah, with the Dungeon you know, of with, Doom, with, uh, Hall and Nash showing up, he had, you know became pro WCW type, and so this is like right around that time where. He just kind of distancing himself for all that from all that. Let's not forget that you know Halloween Havoc '95. Man, he joined the Dungeon of Doom, or he was like affiliated with the Dungeon of Doom, yeah. right? Yeah. Turned on Hulkamania. What a wild time that was! But that's in the prior deep dive. You can go look into in the archives uh, that we did. I mean, what last year? Maybe, maybe it was 2021. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, pretty sure. I think last it was. year we did the. Uh, because two years ago we did 97, 98, and then we did 94, 95 this past 2021. So there you go. There cool. you go. Check them 94 out. 94 through archives. 98 are covered. Actually, I don't think we did 96. So we, we should do 96. I thought we did. Wasn't that the cage match with Piper no. and Hogan? No. We did that. that we did 96, 90, 97. That was 97. We did 96, 97. That was 97? 96 is when Piper showed up at the end. 96 was Hogan Savage. NWO oh. Hogan and Savage. So, yeah, I we might have to do 96. Those shows run together. I know we did 97 and 98. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Because we talked about that and how bad things were in 98. Yep. But, all right, moving on <laughs> to the main event. Not quite. Oh. You see, uh, we, we, our faith was restored in WTW with the last two matches. You got DDP and, and, and Buff Bagwell. Okay, those are two young up and comers. You got. D. Malenko and Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio making his WCW debut. He's a, he's a, a, it's incredible. D. Malenko is as great as, as ever. Man, you got something with those four guys. Then they roll out Big Bubba Rogers versus John Tenta, which no disrespect to either one of these gentlemen. May they both rest in peace. Um, It just wasn't hitting by 96. It just wasn't there. And Big Bubba Rogers, he'd eventually leave WCW and go to WWF and become Big Boss Man again and had another great run. Wasn't Tenta, didn't Tenta go back to with the, the oddities? Yeah, yeah, he was Golga with a mask, under a mask. There you go. But look, if this was 1991 and you had Big Boss Man versus Earthquake, that could have been <laughs> at the lowest semi-main of a pay-per-view. Five years later in WCW, mm, it's just here. <laughs> it's just here. Big Bubba Rogers come, came out looking ridiculous. 
What an outfit he had on. And he so also came out. Well, go ahead. I was going to say the Dungeon of Doom explodes, I guess. Because they were both members. Oh, that's true. That's I forgot about that. Yeah. The shark. It's not John Tenta. It's the shark. <laughs> it's the and shark. I had avalanche. It, I, I thought it, this time he had not had the short hair, half short hair, and half not or whatever, head shaved. and So, so he, he did at this point. So That's another thing. We could, with like, being the pioneer of the asymmetrical head shaved cut. Good. Yeah, a lot of people rocking that these days. Yeah. You can go back to 96. In June, there was John Tenta, man. Trend setting center. the world on fire with that hair. He was, he was the man, but Big Bubba Rogers is the reason why he has his head shaved like that because they cut his hair and he comes out with a pair of scissors and I guess remnants of John Tenta's hair like he's Brutus the Barber Beefcake out here. But he's in a dungeon of doom. You can't have two guys like this. What's going on no, here? You can't. You can't do it. Uh, Tenta doesn't come out with music. I guess because he's not in a dungeon of doom anymore. He gets, he just they just didn't even have generic music for the guy. <laughs> I don't know if you saw, but two like two little girls walked out behind him, and I was like, who the hell were they? Did you know who they were? Behind Tenta. Tenta. I guess I wasn't paying attention to the entrance. If you look back, there's like. He he's like looking back, kind of towards the entrance, and he starts walking, and then you see these two little girls come out. I was like, "Where did they? Were, were they part of the story?" I don't think so. Okay, I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> but this match is like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I had, honestly don't. They just know. wandered into the Baltimore Arena. They were just in the shot. I, they're like The Shining almost. I don't know what was going on. Maybe it was a Dungeon of Doom thing. Maybe I don't know. But Bubba used a foreign object on Tenta, and then the referee checks Bubba Rogers. It's like, <laughs> check him before the match, bro. Now you want to check him. Was the referee okay. Earl Hebner? No, it was, I think it was Nick Patrick. Ah. So, Nick Patrick this time. However, Nick this Patrick match was always like, counted weird. He like, always like shook his hand yeah, in between like the count. I don't like that. That's real inside baseball talk for wrestling. When yeah. We, Critiquing Nick Patrick and how he counted to three. That's how you know we watched a lot of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it's, he, there's no reason to flail your arm like he did. I don't know if that came natural to him or if he did it to set himself apart, but he definitely set himself apart. Not he did. Way. We noticed. Not in a good way. <laughs> we noticed. And it was always weird to me, too. It like his hand, like, like you know, you hurt your hand. You're like, ah, yeah. and you shake it. That's how he did it. Like, every time he hit the mat, he's like, ow, one. Two, ow, three, ooh, ow, get out of here. <laughs> Ring the spell. He was the always over. hoping they would kick out so he didn't have to slam his hand three times. <laughs> <laughs> or please stay down so I don't have to do this again. Yeah. Like, please submit. if he had a match please with a bunch of near falls, <laughs> if he had a match with a bunch of near falls, it's like, I'm not doing this match. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I quit. Here's my, here's my 30 days. You would never work at AEW with all the near falls they have. <laughs> Oh no no no! New Japan, a main event. New Japan. Oh no 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 no! No, you could give me the you could pay me, but I'm not gonna do it. Right. Nick Patrick's gonna be like the hand model from Zoolander when he has like his hand like in a glass case. Him and Tony side by side. Tony with his elbows and 
Like Patrick with his hands. <laughs> pristine. Pristine elbows. From Tony Schiavone. Never been touched. <laughs> Virgin elbows out here. As the police coming after I said that. <laughs> the police are coming. We talked a lot about stuff. Not about really this match. <laughs> like, yeah, this yeah. match was about five minutes. It went about three minutes too long, in my opinion. It did. Um, Bubba actually slammed John Tenta at one point, which is not a common thing back when he was Earthquake. Uh, but Tenta won still. He managed to win while Jimmy Hart was on a ring apron. He thought he was going to celebrate a little bit with his back turned. Do the Jimmy Hart. His- do, do the. Do Jimmy Hart where he thinks uh, Big Bubba's going to win. Okay, so let me explain it first. Jimmy Hart has his back turned. Meanwhile, while his back turned, Tenta is pinning Big Bubba Rogers <laughs> and winning the match. He gets into the ring not knowing Tenta won and sees Tenta's like, oh, no. So he's like, yeah, baby, how how Big Bubba Rogers doing it again, winning the match again, baby? Yeah, baby, let me get in here and beat up some John Tenta. Oh, no, baby, what happened? What happened, Big Bubba Rogers? Oh, I got to go. And he runs away. <laughs> he ran away, which, hey, look, I don't blame him. I'd run away, too, from John Tenta. But <laughs> Tenta grabs some scissors, and it's time to get some payback on Big Bubba Rogers. That's right. In the, in the form of taking, I guess, a piece off of his beard. Oh, no. Not his beard. That didn't have the same effect as cutting his hair. No, it did not. I'm not even sure the fans even realized what was happening because <laughs> they did not care. <laughs> Tenta just yelled, I'm not finished with you, like he's Braun Strowman. <laughs> but we were all done. We were like, we're, we're fine. Yeah. We're good. We're ready to move on, please. <laughs> like, we're fine. Kevin Green was definitely ready to move on. Oh, because here we are. We move on to the backstage pro night. And then part of the reason why wrestling your scripts exist <laughs> is Mongo McMichael, Deborah McMichael, Kevin Green, and his wife Terry Green. And they all had on some look dope varsity jackets. Where are those jackets at today? Like, are I they know. in someone's Hall of Fame? It should or be. Or in storage? Like, we need to see those jackets somewhere. Mm-hmm. I know WWE has like the date well, they had the uh, the Buried Treasure Show. Somebody needs to find <laughs> Mongo's and Kevin Green's Varsity Jackets. Well, yeah, the somebody, because didn't the they Bears fire one. the guy that was doing it? <laughs> I was doing the searching. Uh, yeah, they did. So, <laughs> got to find somebody else. Someone else got to host it now. Yeah. <laughs> However, uh, AJ Francis, who's, do, who's yes. doing it, by the way, who's dope. But um, somebody should find those. Cause those those are those are collectors items. I don't think they those were like sold in stores anywhere. Those were like custom made jackets, I think. Uh so they're like one of ones probably or I guess his wife their wives had them on too, so they're two of twos, but still. Um <laughs> but then we get Kevin Green. Oh, Kevin Green. You know we talked about Kevin Green on our show last year at Slammery from 97 yeah. in WCW. I got more to say about Kevin Green, though. But this promo from Kevin Green was something else. You know what? Let's go with the whole shebang. I don't care about the game plan, Gene. Baby, I don't care if the roof comes off this building. Flair, Anderson, we're coming to get you, baby. (laughs) All right, Kevin Green. All I know, baby, is this 
my goal line, baby. It's short yardage. I'm yeah. coming hard. I'm coming oh. heavy. We're not hey. giving up an inch, baby. Oh. Out, we're coming hard. Oh, oh, no. The Macho Man Randy Savage. Again. Bobby Heenan, scared to death by your presence. The smell of winning is in the air, and a little perfume, too. We're going to do what? a goal line stand, <laughs> and that. then we're going to knock Nature Boy and then force her into the end zone. These guys right here. Oh, God. Kevin <laughs> this is like Rob Ball of 96. Right. <laughs> These guys are psyched to the max. Are you psyched to the max? Hey, psych, brother. Baby, I'm with you, Daddy. Right now, me too. Wait, listen, you're in the huddle. Come on, Daddy. This is the no. Team. Am I right or am I right? Talk to me. Am I right? Let's go. Let's go right now. Talk right. to him. Out the door. They're leaving me in the locker room. Terry and Deborah McMichael, Kevin, Kevin Green, Steve McBeck. I'm doing <laughs> a lot of chin music there for the Macho Man, Randy Savage. They're going to be facing Flair Anderson. Remember, woman and Elizabeth. They're not the nicest ladies in the world. They've been known to have a trick or two up their sleeve or elsewhere. Right now, let's get you back. <laughs> dirty what? Ass. Dirty ass, man. It's Where else would ass. it be? <laughs> In their pocket? <laughs> or elsewhere. What? <laughs> what? What are you insinuating, Gene? What are you talking about here? Oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> Kevin Green, man. What a treasure. <laughs> it's like the goal line. And we're covered hard. And we're not giving up an inch. We're talking and coming hard. This is a lot. Watch out. We're coming hard. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's go, daddy. It's like, hard. <laughs> Phrasing. Phrasing. It's that so was great terrible. that these three are now on the overall soundboard. I'm coming hard. I'm coming heavy. Watch out. Oh my God, Kevin Green, I love you, man. Rest in peace. Jesus, we're going to get look. Rest in peace to Kevin Green, man. Died in 2020, uh, I believe, due to a heart attack, which is again unfortunate. But that promo was wild. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. One of the things yeah. I do love, though, I will say, is when Macho Man cuts promos and he turns his back to the camera, <laughs> like it starts talking. <laughs> That's what he know. He doesn't even care. He's he is on fire out. when he turns his yeah. back. Because like even though WWE does the dumb camera angles where everybody has to look away from the camera or they watch TV sideways, I would understand though if they was like, "Hey, face the camera. <laughs> like, don't turn your back to it while you're talking." I could understand that. Randy Savage though didn't give a damn. Because he turned his back to the camera in WWF, he did it in WCW, and it was hysterical every time. I just loved it. It's just only Randy Savage can get away with just turning his back into the camera and talking to Gene Oakland. <laughs> like, they're having a face-to-face -face conversation. Like, there's no camera there. <laughs> like, yeah. bro, look at the camera. And Gene's looking right at him. He's not even looking at the camera, which is makes No, it he's looking at Savage. Because when Savage is speaking to you and he's intense, <laughs> you better look at him. <laughs> you better look at him when he's talking to you. And he got those eyes bulging out of his head. No, you better look at Randy Savage. So, yeah, I always loved that about Randy Savage's promos from back in the day. But Kevin Green, we saw him at Slamboree the next year on a past deep dive, a prior deep dive. Go listen to that. And he is wearing the Panthers jacket then. 
He was about to leave the Panthers, though, <laughs> that show. Before this show, though, or when this show took place, he was getting ready for his first season with the Panthers because he played for the Panthers in 96, left in 97 to play for the 49ers, and, of course, went back to the Panthers to finish up his career in 98 and 99. But in 95... Kevin Green played in the Super Bowl. I think, you know, we got to remind people, Kevin Green played for the Steelers in 95, and he played in the Super Bowl, lost a game. But personally, they had he had, a I guess, a quote-unquote down year. And we mentioned, like, he had all these double-digit sack seasons, and that one season he didn't have double digits. He only had nine. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that season was 95. But they went to the Super Bowl, and he still had nine sacks. So, again, this season ended with in the Super Bowl with a loss, but for some reason, I guess that was enough for the Steelers to to move on, or can go that they went their separate ways. He went on to sign a two year, two million dollar deal with the Panthers, which was big money in '96. All right, and and because that was big money, that had Steelers fans thinking, "Man, Kevin Green, he left purely for the money," which again. We on the straight shooters advocate for that. <laughs> Get your money. Yep. But he apparently wanted to stay in Pittsburgh, but believes he would have probably had a lesser role on the field had he had stayed. I actually found an interview he did with 970 ESPN Radio ah. back in 2016. And he said, I didn't want to leave. And I think that's a misconception a lot of people have is that I sold out. Not Madison Square Garden, like Mick Foley did. Sold out for the money. He said, so, like, I sold out or whatever and went to the Panthers for big money. But I really wanted to stay. I'm not getting, I'm not going to get into the particulars of why I didn't go. And then he gets into the particulars. But I didn't want to ride the pine and be on the bench. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not going to get into the particulars, but I'm going to tell you exactly why. <laughs> Excuse me. I wanted an opportunity to compete for a starting job, and so I had to leave Pittsburgh when I did. Hat tip to the good folks at Steelers Depot for the quotes. And shout out to my guy Josh Carney, who writes for that website, and also writes for the Beaver County Times. We went to IEP together, so that's how we know each other. That's my guy. Shout out to Josh Carney. But yeah, Kevin Green uh, didn't want to get into the particulars, but then got into the particulars. Um, But again, I said this... On last year's show, we talked about Slamboree. I'm like, why well, he could have played another four or five seasons if he just rolled out there for 20 snaps and got four or five sacks in the season. But as you heard in that quote, he didn't want to do that. <laughs> he wanted to play. He wanted to be a starter. And then once he realized he wasn't a starter, he moved on. And there you go. Watch and he was right. He was right, though. I mean, the Steelers, wh- why would you bench Kevin Green? He was still a nine-sack guy. That's a starter. And the Steelers weren't even uh, – they had their down years, too. So but it's ni- like 94-95, their defense was nice, though. Yeah, like why would you get rid of someone like that or, right. or even lessen the playing time? Right. So that's Not- like lessening Flexer Cox's playing time in the 2017 season. Right. <laughs> like he still was – like or oh, coming off of 2018 when he had like 10 right. and a half sacks. Right. It was like, what, what? He had nine, <laughs> and I, maybe the Steelers had some guys in the in the pipeline that they wanted to play. And Kevin Green was a veteran, but he's still really productive. And then he came out in '96 and had 14 and a half, and went to a Pro Bowl and got named All Pro again. And it's like, well, the Steelers could have used that. <laughs> like I yeah. tell you what, not right now. Yep. 
I think either it was a Jason Gilden or uh, I forget the other linebacker they had. LeVon Kirkland, one of them got hurt early in 96, and that was the end of that season. <laughs> like, I don't even think they made the playoffs in 96. They could have used Kevin Green. Could have. So, could have, but didn't happen. The man was very productive all the way until the end. I'll say it again. Um, but moving on from that, we have another wild banger of a match here. It is Falls Count Anywhere. Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan. How long course, did this match feel to you? It felt Pretty like damn it long, right? so fast. No, it went by <laughs> oh, real really? quick because there was just so many things happening one after another. Yeah, it felt like it went long for me. And I'm surprised to learn it didn't even last 10 minutes. Yeah, so I'm saying it felt so, fast to me. Okay. Interesting. But, of course, we know about the personal story, the personal background between these two men. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Sullivan was dating a woman, also known as Nancy Sullivan at this point. I forget her maiden name. Where was her maiden name? Oh, Do you remember uh, her maiden name by all chance? Not off the top of my head. Oh. I think I just... Tofoloni. Tofoloni. That's her maiden name. Or Douse? Yeah, oh, man, she has multiple names. <clears throat> yeah, Tofoloni. Either way, she was Nancy Sullivan when she was married to Kevin Sullivan. But, of course, because Crispin Wild was in the Four Horsemen woman was the manager one of the valets for the four horsemen they start linking up together and then that causes a rift between benoit and sullivan naturally that pretty much plays out on screen and this is one of them because they come out in this match and they just start fighting in the aisle <laughs> not necessarily common for 1996 wrestling yep. right and they are just beating the hell out of each other. They're throwing, like, punches and slaps. It looks stiff, right? It looked like a shoot down there. Mm. And then they go into the crowd, and it's like, good lord. Like, this is not normal for 96. All right? Then they go into the concourse area, and then they go into the men's bathroom. <laughs> and things get wild in here. Because <clears throat> you got Dusty Rose as soon as they walk in. There's some boys taking some relief in there. <laughs> I Dusty actually Rose. didn't clip these because I was waiting for you to just. Oh, you do my impersonation? Do yeah, because yeah, sometimes they're funnier than even Dusty himself. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I didn't, I didn't that. need to clip those. I appreciate that. But <laughs> Dusty, you can tell he's having the time of his life yeah. with this. He loves this. And the plunder. He looks. They oh, they got more plunder. More plunder. <laughs> They're fighting in the men's bathroom, but there's like a group, like a like a slew of people in the bathroom yeah. watching them fight. Yep. And they there's come in. I think one somebody guy, even fell. You see Doug Dillinger <laughs> run across the camera and like right. have to hold them back. He's trying his hardest. He is fighting for his life to keep these fans at bay. <laughs> one of these guys have a, has a baby in his hands. He has an infant <laughs> in the bathroom watching two grown men beat the hell out of each other like Take your baby away from this. <laughs> like your baby don't need this type of violence in his life. This was wild. Right? Yeah. Meanwhile, while the fans are going crazy, Sullivan and Benoit are again beating the hell out of each other. Sullivan whacks Benoit in the head with the bathroom star door. There's cops in here now. Yeah. yeah. This has descended into total chaos. There's even a woman in there. <clears throat> 
there's a woman in a dusty rose lost his mind again. And I'm like, well, now this is a gender neutral bathroom. <laughs> like, no, everybody is welcome into this bathroom now. All right. But Dusty Rhodes lost his mind when he saw the word. There's a lady in there. Like, couldn't believe there's a woman in the, in the men's bathroom. At one point, Kevin Sullivan hit Chris Benoit with a bag, like a trash bag full of toilet paper rolls. It's like, what the hell is going on here? Then they hit each other with trash cans. Then they come back out into the course, and Kevin Sullivan kicks Chris Benoit down the stairs, not once, but twice. Oh my God, Vince McMahon's on TV. What? He came out. He's walking to the ring right now. Why? Oh my God. <clears throat> Again, WWE making a bad situation worse. Me, I don't understand. Let me get it. this audio up if I can. Oh my god, he looks terrible. He's well. He's seventy six, so This is wild. This is so disrespectful. This is why people don't come out and say things. Which makes it well, it continues to make it the longest running episodic television show in history. And for that, I say thank you. What? Raw's been on the air for almost 30 years. <laughs> 20 of those 30 years has been dominated by the greatest WWE superstar maybe of all time. Maybe he'll, oh, Brock Lesnar. He's introducing Brock Lesnar. Week. Oh. I make reference to no, no, no less than oh, Mr. Hustle, Cena. loyalty, and respect, mm. John Cena. Oh my God! That was scheduled already, though. That's supposed to happen already, Dude, right? He, I think something's wrong with him. Well, there you have it. That's it. That's it. Bro, what is I wrong mean, with him? I was watching the video of him leaving the ring, and he, his feet were getting caught in the ropes. He can't walk. He's he, mentally uh, something's going on. If it, I mean, it ha- it seems like it has been, but last see uh, it, Friday so. night and Monday night, yeah, that was. I can't speak to it, but yeah, you'll see. You'll probably see clips and minutes <laughs> show up on Raw, but it's just disgraceful. Not good. Not the fact it's, that yeah, it's really that he's literally doing it like shoving in in the faces of everybody. That's. Although I'm not surprised, I, I just it's what the hell. Yeah, and somebody else said I'm not sure if Vince McMahon is doing well. Right, that's and, like I just watching. Uh, you could tell. So, but Vince, we already knew he was coming back. That was scheduled. We knew John Cena's coming back next week. So he's just yeah. coming out flaunting. Like, I'm untouchable, guys. Exactly. There's nothing they could do to me. Exactly. Because I'm out here announcing stuff, getting cheered. Everybody still loves me. Yep. I'm That's going to That's exactly what it is. He, he's doing it for the pop. He's doing it for his ego. He's doing it to show that nothing is going to stop him. That, that's, That's trifling. That's so disgusting. 
It's really like, disgraceful. I, I didn't know he was going to, like, I thought, okay, maybe he was going to say something, but. No. Another thing, so. Just he just comes out just to get the adulation, just to remind people, look how powerful I am. No matter what you do, no matter what allegations come out about me, there's going to be people in the stands who will cheer me because I'm Vince McMahon. That's disgraceful. That's bad. That's bad. It's really bad. It's really bad. And I, it's <sighs> kind of disheartening. I'm sure for people out there who like have been victimized in some way or done wrong in some way by Vince, and it's like, but he just gets to go out there on television that he's, you know, somebody paid him a billion dollars for in front of, I don't know, 10,000 people and get cheered like nothing happened. People throwing flowers at him. Playing to the crowd, making them cheer him even louder than they are. Like, that's, and they do it. They literally react and, and do it. It's like, like you said, this is why victims don't come forward just point him to that you have these idiots that are like oh why didn't she say something sooner why didn't she say something at all this is exactly the reason because they believe they they won't be believed and it's exact situations like this yeah that's 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 terrible this is awful i gotta stop looking at twitter again <laughs> so yeah. we can get back to it's, uh... something else Another terrible person, Crispin Wild. What the hell are we doing? Yeah, man. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, talking about WCW back in 1996 because this match is crazy. Because again, Benoit gets kicked down the steps not once, <laughs> but twice. So cause he got kicked down and he kind of stopped. And then Kevin yeah, Sullivan came yeah. back like, "No, you're going <laughs> like, all the way down." Exactly. And then you Get see out. like the the hard cam, Jimmy Hart watching from the ring, like perched up on the second rope uh, as it pans back. I thought that was hilarious. That was a great yeah. uh, production. That was wild. <laughs> uh, at one point, they make they make their way back to the ring. Benoit sets up a table in the corner on the top rope. Right, he and Sullivan eventually make their way up there, only for Benoit to hit Sullivan with a superplex off the table, which was a wild spot back in 1996. The fans went crazy when this happened, and then they also went crazy when Benoit pinned Sullivan for the win to end a wild match. Yeah. Even by today's standards, the bathroom scene alone was like, what in the hell is going on here? <laughs> but there we were. Uh, yeah. So another wild one here at Great American Bash in 1996. Jimmy Hart 0 for 2. What would that sound like? Oh, no, baby. We lost again. Tasmans, come on, baby. Come on. Oh, get. One, two. Oh, God damn. We lost again. <laughs> <laughs> And then he runs away again. Oh, no, I'm getting beat up again. I got to go. <laughs> when a full horseman comes out and then beats up on Kevin yeah. Sullivan. Yeah. He was, like, ready to <laughs> hug Art Anderson. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. So Arn. he tried to run away. Arn yeah. Anderson stopped him. And then, you know, they beat up on Kevin Sullivan. Dungeon of Doom comes out. They chase the horseman away. All hell's breaking loose here. And then we go backstage with Gene Oakland again. Again. With... What's that? Again. <laughs> Again, with three members, or f- three members of the Four Horsemen. There's only three of them. We got Flair, Arn Anderson, and Chris Benoit. So I get, you assume a fourth is coming on the way. It's happening mm. tonight, though. Oh. <laughs> we get a promo from them about the, the main event. Uh, well, not really the main event. It is, really was a main event, actually, the NFL versus WCW match. 
no one really cared about the world title match that much. Neither did WCW. We'll talk <laughs> about that in a little bit. Um, but then we move on to another pretty good match, in my opinion. Sting versus Lord Steven Regal. Yeah, the promo was terrible. But this match made up for it because Steven Regal, number one, or William Regal, fantastic. I can't say enough good things about how good he was. His facial expressions, some of the greatest of all time. Like yeah. when he yeah. tried to shake Sting's hand, the look on his face when he was like trying to tell the fans to shut up. <laughs> like, he's so funny. <laughs> he's so good. And it's great that like he had, he was, I guess he came, what, 93 to WCW? And like that. he's been like the same character the whole time. It's great. Like the facials, everything. It's Pretty much, yeah. So great. Yeah, William Regal, a classic. A classic, but um, this match also very good. I thought Sting was yes. very giving to William Regal, or yep. Steven Regal, I should say. Um, that he got a lot of offense in. Yes, Sting is going to win. Spoiler. Sting is the, the franchise. is going to win this match. But he made Steven Regal look pretty good, I thought. And there was really nothing too fancy about it. They just went to work for a little while. And it really, the finish came when, you know, the whole story is that Regal backhanded Sting, and Sting was really upset about that, which understandable. Yeah. <laughs> Get backhanded. I'd be mad, too. Well, Regal did it again during the match. And even though he had been beating the hell out of Sting up until that point, that, like, woke Sting up. And Sting started whooping Regal's ass, like, <laughs> three minutes straight. Regal had his share of counters, but he didn't have one for the Scorpion Deathlock, which made him tap out for... A, a victory for Sting. This match, I thought, again, another really good match. Let's, I thought it was dope. It definitely elevates the event as a whole uh, better than I thought it would be. And I love how WCW would always label their matches like a special challenge match. Like, okay, whatever. But it that's the sport aspect that I loved about WCW because they always added something that... Even that, a special challenge match. So, cool. It's not just Sting versus Steven Regal. This is a special challenge match. So, like, just little things like that. And, yeah, the, the promo beforehand, notwithstanding, this was absolutely awesome. Uh, probably my favorite part of the pay-per-view, minus, you know, the, Eric Bischoff getting powerbombed. But, uh, yeah, this was this definitely was way better than I had anticipated going into it because this is the first time I watched this match as a whole. Uh, really, this event as a whole because I would always just watch Bischoff getting powerbombed <laughs> and Mag right. Mago joining the Horsemen. Like, those are my favorite moments. But watching a whole event, uh, definitely this is probably an underappreciated match of William yeah. Eagle's, uh WCW tenure. I would say this is a little bit of a hidden gem here because yep. who knows who who would think that Sting and, and Stephen Regal had like a pay per view match? Mm -hmm. They did in '96, <laughs> and it was damn good. C considering who's involved, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. But we watch it's like damn, that was good. Yeah, and I'm surprised the way Regal was in WCW. He was like a big character. I remember him watching back then, and the fact he wasn't really involved in any WCW or NWO stuff uh, when that angle got going. I'm kind of surprised by that a little bit. Yeah, he he really wasn't. You know, we don't know exactly why. Like, yeah, but. I mean, behind the scenes, he had his issues. But as a character and that, as a wrestler, what he brought the previous three years that I had seen him in WCW uh, would have been yeah. great. 
either was NWO a, or WCW. Regal was a main player in WCW. Was he world he really champion? Was. was he in main events? No, but he was TV champ and yeah. stuff like that. Like not, he not was US a guy. champ, but he really reminds me of kind of like Razor Ramon in WWF. He was Intercontinental champ, never like world champ. But Steven Regal kind of hits me like that in WCW uh, before the NWO angle. He was like he was that guy. He had a manager, Jeeves. I didn't even realize that till like a few years ago that he even had a manager back then. I, I knew he, someone came out with him. Uh, I didn't realize that was Jeeves. And then he had teamed with Bobby Eaton and then Dave Taylor came out. And that's kind of what I remember the most about him. Cause as a kid growing up, I, I was watching. Do you think he like, was a loser because then. he had multiple times? I did not actually. I did not. <laughs> I was like, I mean, like I, I, maybe I did, but I kind of didn't take him seriously because he was never in the main event. I didn't even realize he faced Sting here because I wasn't watching WCW pay-per-views back then. I, yeah, sure, I do Hall and Nash were in WCW now, but uh, like I, that wasn't enough for me to ask to order a WCW pay-per-view. I didn't even order Bash at the Beach in 96. So, oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, it wound up getting the VHS tape a few years later. Mm, I bought it from like, of- Sam Goody, I guess. But <laughs> Sam Goody, man. That's a blast from the past. But speaking of Bash at the Beach, that's we get an ad for that after this match. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a normal pay per view. Nothing of note happened there. No. You know, nothing. No big deal. It was funny. Uh, they, Tony was talking about having a hundred thousand people at the previous Bash at the Beach in '95 because they were literally on a beach on a coast, and I guess theoretically you could say a hundred thousand people were in that area. Yeah, I still find that hard to believe. <laughs> not, I don't think a hundred thousand near the ring, would. but like along the coasts on the beach, right. sure. But I don't think definitely not around w- the ring. I don't think WCW ever had a crowd of a hundred thousand ever. He said a hundred thousand dollars to see a uh, hundred thousand people there to see Bash of the Beach. I was like, yeah, that yeah, was not I don't the case. So. Uh, not at the not during the show. Maybe five thousand. <laughs> right, a hundred thousand. Okay. What is this, the Tone of 500? Like, what is this, like a race track? No, it's a beach that no one is going to to see WCW wrestling. But we move on. It is now time for the NFL versus WCW showdown. It is Ric Flair and Arn Anderson going up against Kevin Green and Steve Mongo McMichael. And this match was so big that they had to have Michael Buffer come out to announce it. He got two matches on this night. He did. He got two matches. Uh, he introduces everybody, and Deborah comes out with a little dog for some reason. Pepe, I think the dog. Yeah, I think uh, Mongo had that dog while he was doing commentary. He did. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. He absolutely did. I completely forgot about that. What I thought of though when I saw that dog was <laughs> an episode of Martin. Okay. <laughs> where he had a show and Hustle Man came on the show with a little dog named Ice Pick, and he was supposed to be a rapping dog. The dog did not rap. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, go ahead, pick, go ahead, pick, do it. And everybody's like, go pick, go pick. And the dog was just standing there looking around at everybody. (laughs) And he was like, man, get your ass out of here with this dog. He's like, no, hold up, I got to flee like a pop lock better than rerun. (laughs) Like a flea. So that's what I thought of when I saw Pepe the dog, who I forgot was on commentary with Mongo when he was on commentary. Um, <laughs> I like how Mongo and Kevin Green started off with like a defensive angel, like a roll or whatever in the ring, and it's supposed to get him fired up or something like that. I mean, but this was both of their pro wrestling debut, by the way, which I'm kind of surprised. 
that they put them on a team together right. <laughs> instead of like having them with a veteran. But I guess if you're going against someone, you it's good to go against Flair and Anderson. Flair and on is a good pair to go up against, I guess, if you're having a wrestling debut. I just surprised they put them on actually the same team. But whatever, that's the way it, that's the way it went. <laughs> you know? I guess Arn was the piece that held everything together because I could see Flair getting annoyed with uh, green guys. But Arn, I, I could see him just being like, let's do this, let's do that. And I'm sure maybe they trained he was nicer well. because it's Maybe he was nice because it's Kevin Green. I've heard him say nice things about Kevin Green you know, over yeah. the years. I do uh, um, think Steve McMichael might have trained. He might have been told he was going to wrestle in WWF because he came in, WrestleMania 11, part of Lawrence Saylor's team, and he was there for a bit. He even did commentary on Raw one time, and then he just kind of went to WCW. So I think he was probably thinking he was going to wrestle in WWF, and WCW just made him an offer. And then the entire time he was commentating, he was maybe perhaps training. So, who knows? And I don't know the whole backstory, but that kind of lines up my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. I made the story, so if I made the story up, it sounds good. <laughs> and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, but Kevin Green only had five matches in his career. I did not know. I, well, obviously, he was at the Great American Bash the next year against Mongo. Oh, not, yeah, that's right, against Mongo, yeah. But I forgot he had a match at Bash of the Beach against a giant in 1998. Yeah, I did too. I think he had long hair at that point. I think he he grew it out a little bit. Well, he traditionally usually had long hair. As a player, he always wore long hair. I guess he cut it for some reason after he left the Steelers. But usually he had long hair. So I I think I remember looking at the Bash of the Beach 98 match thing, and I was like, Kevin Green wrestled on there? Because at that point... They had two NWOs, and the Giant was like a heel at that uh, Hollywood <laughs> NWO. So things changed dramatically. Yeah, exactly. I don't even remember how that came to be, but <laughs> it's funny you having had... him like wrestle in '98 and like Attitude Era, right. WCW with two NWOs. Like I don't, I forget about that. By that point, they had two NWOs. That's just <laughs> funny statement. That's how bad things got. Only two years later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only two years later. Uh, Mongo, of course, had well over 100 matches and eventually became the United States champion and had an angle over his Super Bowl ring with Goldberg. How about that? But we move on to the match itself. Well, before the match, I should say. I also was looking up research on Mongo. I had no idea that he actually coached football, too, for the Chicago Slaughter. You ever heard of the Chicago Slaughter? I have not. Of the Champions Indoor Football League. <laughs> it's an indoor football league. Clearly, I said it in the name. But uh, he coached from 2007 to 2013 and won a championship in 2009. Huh. However, I will say that championship team, <laughs> that came the year that the Arena Football League went bankrupt and didn't play a season. Oh, no. So the Slaughter went out and signed a bunch of guys from the AFL's <laughs> Chicago Rush. <laughs> and they dominated. <laughs> like, well, then. <laughs> they won by an average of they won their game by an average of thirty points, and it went undefeated. It really wasn't fair. They eventually moved left the CIF to play in the indoor football league, which still exists today. The slaughter do not. So there you go. More football knowledge, and now we're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Tony Schiavone planted a little seed here that I didn't know was a seed at the time. But as we, you know, get to the finish of this match, I realized it was. And he even brought it up again. And that he was talking to Mongo about why he left the Bears to play for the Packers near the end of his career. And, you know, Bears and Packers are the oldest rivals in the NFL. And it was like sacrilege that Mongo, a part of the 85 Bears championship team, played for the Packers at the end, right? And apparently, according to Mongo, Mongo, according to Shivani, Mongo said he did it for the money, which is like, yeah, that makes (laughs) sense. (laughs) But we saw later on how much sense it makes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. That that Mongo is apparently easily swayed by cash. (laughs) And it was (laughs) funny because it wasn't even like a plan. It was just like he was fighting these guys tooth and nail. And I was like, oh, this money's from you? All right. (laughs) It wasn't even like a plan to make him the fourth horseman. I was like, please do this. Like, please take this money and join us. And boom. That's it. Before that, though, I noticed Kevin Green, even though he cut his hair short, he still had a rat tail. So I was like, people still wearing rat tails in 96? Did not know that. Maybe uh, they were. I don't know. I cut mine uh, off Flair. in 93, 94. I, I don't remember. I, I've years. never had one. <laughs> but I feel like about 93, 94 was Should, the time that people stopped wearing them. <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. I I I got normal. I'm just I'll take my normal haircut. <laughs> no, no, no frills, right? Um, but I, one funny moment in the match that I thought was pretty funny. Again, I just said that. Uh, Ric Flair asked Kevin Green, like, "Oh, get down in a three point stance. Let's let's go at each other, you know." And Kevin Green, silly ass, gets down in his three point stance, and Flair just kicks him right in the head. <laughs> Uh, that was funny. But Kevin Green, I thought Kevin Green was really good <laughs> in the ring. I thought if Kevin Green really dedicated himself to wrestling, he could have been a really good wrestler. I agree. And I specifically think he could have been a very good babyface. He just had like really good fire, and he could sell his ass off. He was pretty good at selling. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I was like, man, what does he remind me of somebody? And the first person that popped in my head was John Cena <laughs> because he would do the flying shoulder tackles. I was like, yeah. He's seen us throw all of Kevin Green's offense, or what? <laughs> <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> so that, I found that interesting. But I honestly thought that Kevin Green could have been a really good wrestler if he really, you know, put his mind to it. Yeah, I don't disagree. And he loved it. He seemingly loved it. It, it, it. He definitely wasn't a fake guy. Like, he wasn't playing wrestler. Like, he was involved in it. He he loved to do it. And, uh I absolutely agree. He could have been better than Mongo, probably. Because Mongo had, like, yeah, everyone, he wasn't, like, the most solid wrestler, but, I mean, it was a second career, you know? And he was older. I mean, he did pretty good. And I, I want to rewind back when you mentioned he went to the Packers. Uh, kind of made me laugh when WWF had the NFL guys come in for WrestleMania 11, and they showed Mongo's picture. It was him in the Packers uniform. And oh no! <laughs> like I was just like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> okay, like, uh, I mean, I didn't know the back then, but looking back now, I'd be like, why wouldn't they just use the Bears uniform? Use all these? I think Ken Norton Jr. Uh, wasn't he with the Cowboys and Forty ers or was it one or yeah, the other? Yeah, he was with the Cowboys first, and then went to the Forty ers Yes, yeah, so I think. Uh, for I don't know season. if he I was. I think he won three straight Super Bowls. 
I think Ken Norton's on the 92 and 93 Cowboys, and he was definitely on the 94 49ers. So he might have won okay. three in a row. So they used, like, 49ers for him, I believe. I wonder if he was still playing. I wonder if um, uh, any I think he was because so he played why. on the – he played on the Niners in 94, so this would have been 95 before the 95 season. I'm yeah. willing to bet yeah. Ken Norton was still on the Niners in 95. Yeah, so it just makes but, me laugh. But like, you're using a Packers. Mongo had retired already by 95, yeah. so yep. they didn't have to use a That's Packers was, yeah, like his exactly. most recent photo. <laughs> like They could have used the Bears photo because I'm pretty sure he had retired already by 95. If I'm not I mistaken. Think so. I think so, too. But, oh, Ken Norton played his after he left the Cowboys. Played the rest of his career with the Niners, and I did not know that. I thought he might have gone somewhere else. But Mongo, I'm pretty sure he retired like '92. I think he's been retired. Let me check this out real quick here. Mongo McMichael, when did he retire? When did he retire? And uh, Wikipedia, tell me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me right a second. I think you're about right. 92 or 93, probably. Maybe 94. Like I don't know. But, yeah, seeing him in the Packers uniform was just weird to me. Looking back. Oh, I didn't yeah, know any better back in 95 because I didn't know any NFLers except okay. Randall Cunningham. <laughs> Mike Mongo's last season in the NFL was 94. Okay. So his last season before just, WrestleMania 11 was with the Packers. Got you. So maybe but he only played one year there, right? Yeah, that was his last season. Yeah, so why use the Packers uniform? So weird. I guess because it's still fresh, whatever. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in charge of making those decisions, but looking back now, it's kind of funny. And maybe Since he was everything he yet. wore in WCW was Bears-related. <laughs> right, right. But maybe he wasn't technically retired yet. Right, that's true. So, whatever. Moving on back to the match, okay? We talked about Kevin Green. All of a sudden, the women, the, the uh, for one, the woman you hear screaming during the match, it's woman Nancy ben, yeah. Nancy Sullivan slash Benoit all the time. <laughs> she did it all the time. So in case that startled you, like it startled me, I was like, oh wait, that's woman. Um, <laughs> Rick Flair tries to leave at one point. Randy Savage brings him back, and I put this is when Flair and Mongo started wrestling against each other in the ring. They had zero chemistry in the ring. <laughs> what? <laughs> Things came to a standstill when Mongo and Flair was near in there together. Things were better with Flair and uh, Kevin Green, not with Mongo for some reason. I don't understand what happened there. Um, but like you said, you thought Arn Anderson and Flair led the match. Well, of course they did. They're the veterans. Even at one point, we they uh, Mongo's chopping Flair in the corner. You can hear Flair go Beal, and the next thing you know, Flair is flying through the air after a Beal. <laughs> like, so that's obvious, though. I mean. It, in the ring with Flair and Arn, they're probably going to be calling the spots. At one point, Mongo and Kevin Green put uh, figure fours on both Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Crowd goes crazy. The women, though, they start trash talking and then they just leave. Like they, I think the four horsemen women of Woman and Miss Elizabeth chased off Deborah McMichael and Terry Green. And we don't see them for a little while. We'll see them again at some point. Specifically, when Chris Benoit comes out and helps out the Four Horsemen, he attacks Randy Savage. And it's like, wait, did they have matches against each other, Randy Savage and Chris Benoit? I don't recall, but that would have been crazy back in the day. Maybe on a throw. But eventually, probably. 
that's why I can't like rule it out. I just don't remember right. any big matches between them, like pay per view right. matches. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, like I said, Deborah McMichael comes back out, not with Terry Green though. She comes out with Miss Elizabeth and Woman, huh. and she's now she's in an evening gown and she has a briefcase, and she comes out and hands the briefcase to Mongo, and in that briefcase, Mongo saw a four horseman T-shirt and a whole lot of money, and in that split second, he said, "I." want the money <laughs> and he immediately turned on kevin green all that football camaraderie and chemistry they had went out the window when he saw the cash money dollar dollar bill y'all that's what he said cash rules everything around me <laughs> all right dollar dollar bill and then boom up top <laughs> upside kevin green's head with that suitcase <laughs> And Ric Flair went for the pin and won. <laughs> and that was it. Like you said, it wasn't like a big plan. It was just, here, Mongo, you like money? He's like, yep, I know what to do now. Boom. <laughs> Thank you for the money. Say less. <laughs> it's like, I'm dude, what if it was Kevin Green giving you the money? Come on. No, it was a nah, four horseman. That he came with smart. the four horseman shirt. <laughs> it, was a, it was money and an invitation. See, that's the thing. They they planted the Four Horsemen shirt because they didn't want people to think it was Kevin Green giving them the money. Right. During the match. So we we all know it was an invitation with some money. He wasted no time taking that money. Put the shirt (laughs) right on. (laughs) Right. Put it right on, bro. He immediately helps them beat up Kevin Green and Randy Savage after the match, too. Like, just immediately. (laughs) Y'all paid me. I don't feel nothing for this man no more. Stomp his ass out. <laughs> what the hell is going on here? And that's where this, where that came from. <laughs> well, that's Dusty a different said this one. after this turn. That's, really? He, that's his first one. He said the same thing when Hogan turned on Savage. At Bash oh, at the he Beach. did. He had the same he line. Did. The other one wow. is the one I have clipped from Bash at the Beach. This one is from Great American Bash. Now listen to this yes. one. Great American Bash. Listen. What the and now I'm gonna find the other one. Jeez, I messed. I just messed it up. Damn it! I had a. <laughs> All right, we're gonna do this again. I'm looking for it. Where the hell's Dusty? There we go. Okay. It sounds identical though. All right, 51. There we go. All right. So listen to this. What the hell is going on here? This is from Bash at the Beach. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> that sounds identical, bro. The decibel is a That's little really bit close. higher. It's very right. close. Very close. That's very close. One is Steve McMichael joining the Horsemen, and the other is Hulk Hogan turning his back <laughs> on WCW. <laughs> Everything is important to Dusty. Equally important. Right, because this was like, that's, I even put it in my notes, this was like a major turn at that point. It was. But was vastly overshadowed a month later. <laughs> Mongo was the fourth man. We didn't give a damn about the fourth man. We cared about the third man the next month. <laughs> and that was Hulk Hogan. Sorry, Mongo. <laughs> Hulk Hogan turns Everybody his thought, back and betrays WCW. What the hell is going on here? Steve Mongo McMichael joins the Four Horsemen. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Same. <laughs> so funny. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it either way, man. Kept that energy. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. And then Shivani reminds us, hey, he left the Bears to go to the pack for the money. There you go. And here he is, chasing the money again. 
<laughs> it's like they try to play like this was the NWO, like the Four Horsemen was taking over WCW now. Right. And then the NWO came and they were way cooler. They were like, <laughs> and way uh-uh. more badass. <laughs> and it was like, you know what? We don't care about these Four Horsemen no more. And then the NWO was like, watch out, we're coming hard. Whoa. Every time it's like pause. Every <laughs> and I have this saved every week. Every week it's it's, it's gonna oh come boy. in handy, I'm sure. Oh boy. Speaking of the NWO, well they're not known as NWO yet. They're just it's just two guys, two invaders. Were they known as the outsiders yet even at this I point? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I don't the know outsiders. They, uh honestly. Maybe it was after this, because I don't they didn't refer maybe. to them as the outsiders on the show. No. It's not that I can recall. I don't even think they used their names yet. I don't think so neither. I don't think they ever said their name on this broadcast. I remember the they first just, time I heard Scott Hall and Kevin Nash was like on a nitro or something. They just saying these outside guys that want to come here and start a war where the big boys play. <laughs> oh, we're going to give it to them, baby, like type of thing. But they never said their names, I don't think. But the first thing, so out comes Eric Bischoff. And... He reminds people of the quote-unquote interruptions on Nitro from invaders. So, again, didn't right. say their names. Of course, those invaders were Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. They come out, which is like, make me think, if they're really trying to invade your show, why would you give them right. TV time? <laughs> and the main entrance. Just come on now. Right. You're backstage. They, just wait. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to introduce you guys. They get a whole big special time slot just to themselves. Yeah. They get the whole spotlight. Bischoff granted them a request for a match, but three on three, and they announced it for Bash at the Beach. And Bischoff's like, "Hey, do you work for WW Blank?" They bleeped it out on Peacock. I, yeah. I, they might have done it on pay per view. But do they? Do you work for WWF? They're like, "Nope." Right, and the big main and the medium main are gonna <laughs> make things happen at Bash at the Beach. I love that line from Scott great. Hall. The great. big main and the medium main. <laughs> like, I ain't little, but I ain't big. I'm medium. <laughs> That's really funny. Right? So, they announced it for Bash at the Beach, and then Hall and Nash are like, hey, who's your thir- who's your team? Who your guys going to be? We're, we got a surprise third guy, which, of course, turned out to be Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Who your guys going to be? Or a surprise buddy. Like, what a way to say it. It's just, right. like, you talk about script writers and whatnot. And Scott Hall just like our surprise buddy, like right. only the biggest, weird. only the biggest baby face in the history of the planet by that point <laughs> is going to be on your side. A little more, I guess you and, can't give that away though. You can't, you know, hint that it's Hulk Hogan. But it, I just the the phrase "surprise buddy" cracks me up. <laughs> just say you have buddy. a buddy, like our third guy. He's like our surprise buddy. Like, well, that, they're not. I'm going to announce it, even yeah. though though. They have a surprise buddy on their side. They were really <laughs> mad when Bischoff didn't tell them I know. who was on WCW's team. Like, you just said you got a surprise. WCW can't have a surprise neither. <laughs> like, it's like, no, nah, we whooping your ass right now. <laughs> they punched Bischoff in the gut. <laughs> Kevin Nash hoists him up and jackknife powerbombed his ass off the stage through a table. And a hush came over the crowd. Like, oh, my God. This is because that stuff did not happen on WCW TV, no. No. especially to like announcers and authority figures like not normal. Right. And then <laughs> as they're leaving, Scott Hall goes, the, the real big boys, 
they just left the building. <laughs> Which is classic. <laughs> and no it. one from WCW came out to help in any way. They just doing whatever they wanted. Yep. And the real big boys have left the building. Holla at y'all. <laughs> and we just power bombs your mans. What you gonna do about it? Where you where you wanna take it? <laughs> like pretty much. That's what happened. Yep. Where you wanna take it? We from up north. Not North Philly, but north like as far as WWF. <laughs> we from down north. Which where you wanna take it? I'm going it? to make this a six man tag team match. Teddy Long would have got power bomb too. <laughs> right, he would have got power bomb too. Right on so top of Bischoff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bischoff, they trying to tend to him and take him yeah. away, and here comes Teddy Long just flying down. <laughs> Watch out, guys! <laughs> got another body coming down. Incoming. So, uh, Tony Schiavone so concerned about Eric Bischoff, oh, God, he eventually yeah. gets up from the broadcast position to tend to him as well. And Dusty Rhodes, he's solo dolo on the mic now. And it's like, man, well, look, we ready for war. You're going to come You're gonna come here and talk all this nonsense? We out here. I can't do nothing. I'm an old man. But we got <laughs> other people in the back that's ready to whoop y'all ass, though. <laughs> they I told you in two years, though. <laughs> right. I, he definitely did. A couple years. And then, oh, what they got going on, pretty cool. Yep. I'm going ahead and join y'all now. <laughs> but back is, uh, then, I didn't is... notice it in the beginning, but I noticed it here when Tony leaves. Uh, he's wearing a tux, and Dusty just has jeans and t-shirt. a t-shirt on. Like he ready <laughs> for the bunkhouse brawl. The champion logo on it. <laughs> he ready for the bunkhouse stampede. It's like, bro, this is Great American Bash. <laughs> You're on television. A, Tony is in a tux. And right. Dusty's just like... <laughs> Dusty is like, I'm ready to defend this bunkhouse stampede title. What's happening? <laughs> I'm ready to fight. Uh. <laughs> so there's that. Dusty's talking all the trash. <laughs> talking big, real heavy. Little did they know, the NWO's been whooping their ass for like two years. Yeah. <laughs> but WCW is talking. WCW is talking real heavy though on this night. This is where the big boys play, y'all. We got the biggest of boys, and they play here. And meanwhile, Eric Bischoff is getting power bombed through a table, and no one did anything. <laughs> and I think they <laughs> were the talking off at? at Batch of the Beach too, like right. announcers and everything. It just that's hilarious. Where they at though? Where the big boys at though? <laughs> the, the big boys play here. Look at the adjective play. Where they at though? Nowhere. We move on. To the main event of the evening. It is for the WCW yeah, World well, Heavyweight on, Championship. On paper, the main event of the evening. <laughs> yes, only we on had paper. Just seen the main event. <laughs> in name only, it is the Giant defending his championship against Lex Luger. Let's get ready to stumble into this main event. <laughs> Stumble our way through this main event because it was whack. Before that, though, Lex Luger comes out. He sees Bischoff all laid out. <laughs> he goes, hey, is he alive? Yeah. All right. Let me go on ahead with this title real quick. <laughs> Let me head on down the aisle. 
at one point, Sting comes out to prevent Jimmy Hart from interfering in the match and chase him out of the arena. How does that but sound? It's like, <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, no, baby Sting. Whoa, get away from me, baby. I'm out of here. Where were you five minutes ago, though? <laughs> we we could have used you for Eric Bischoff. Why are you chasing me? <laughs> Yeah, because at this point, he had already slapped Scott Hall on TV. So, yeah. Come on, Sting. Where are you at? Come on, Sting. Where you at, though? <laughs> you one of the big boys. You're the biggest of boys. You're the franchise. You're the man. Where were you? You chasing Jimmy Hart. Leave Jimmy Hart alone. <laughs> Pick on somebody your own size. The biggest, the real big boys left the building, bro. Now you want to be mad. But Jimmy Hart's Sting- 0-2 on this night. Like, give him a break. Oh and two, but he he'll get a he'll get a W. He will. He yeah. will. He get a, he get a, he gets a big W. But this <laughs> match was boring. Whoa, was this match boring? Yeah. And all Dusty and Tony talked about was what would happen, what had happened to Bischoff, <laughs> and what had happened with Hall and Nash. They didn't even talk about this match like that. This is the main event. It's one thing for them to do it during the two eight matches in the opening of the show. This is the main event. This is just for how the world they title they talk big. And they don't do anything. I think when Sting came out, this is what happened. Yeah. Run him out! Hit him with a megaphone on the head! There you go. <laughs> the, there you go. The way we feel right now, hit anybody. Well, really, let's all fight. Let somebody start a fight. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys doing then? What the hell? Trying to get <laughs> your coworkers in fights with let's, two outsiders? We all start a, let somebody start a fight. Not me. Somebody else. <laughs> exactly. And as soon as somebody else throw a punch, I'll follow up. I'll follow up. I'll call it. Right. No, I'll follow <laughs> I'll call it. <laughs> I'll call I'll say you did it. <laughs> That's all I got for you, though. What the don't, hell is going on here? Don't ask me for anything else but that. But let's go, though. <laughs> like, somebody start this fight. <laughs> Anybody. Any takers? Not tonight. <laughs> Lex Luger tried his damnedest to win this match, though. <laughs> like He hit the Giant with, like, 12 forearms. My, remember, the forearm has the metal plate in it. it does. All he did was get Giant to a knee. <sighs> then he tried to put Giant in a torture rack, and then just fell flat on his face from all the weight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was it. The Giant crowd picked was him getting up with so the... hyped, and then it's like, boop. Nope. Boop. <laughs> on his face. Done. Giant picks him up with a choke slam, pinned him, won the match. End of the show. Yeah. Not end of the match. End of the entire show. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> we waited all night for that? Not even That match minutes. is whack. I'm Not sorry. Not even 10 minutes. That match is trash. I understand, like, Giant is still very new. He's still very green. So you don't want to drag him into the deep water just yet and give him 15, 20 minutes, which really isn't even the deep water for a lot of veteran guys. They can go 30, 40, 50 minutes. But for him, that would have been deep water by that point. Because he's still such a you know a green talent, but damn, we can't do more than that in that nine minutes. <laughs> like, we got to make the most out of those minutes, and I just don't feel like they did. It just felt like another match on like a nitro, the way it ended so anticlimactically. And I understand the finish with the uh, the torture rack was supposed to be like the big pop. No, it, it did, but then it fell, and it's like, well, that's the end of that. <laughs> like, yep. it just did not go over well at all. So, there is Great American Bash, 1996. Nick, 
Any final thoughts on this here show? I just don't like how they changed Beach Blast to Bash at the Beach. So I gotta have two batches back to back. It's so weird. I never. That's liked fair. That. But, but Beach Blast is a terrible name. What? Beach Blast sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is a Beach Blast? <laughs> I mean, like. I'm not going to a beach blast. I go to bash. I go to a bash at the beach. I know what that. What's a beach? What's a what's a beach blast? You have a blast at the beach. Nah, I'm not going to that. Nope. It's rad, man. No, I'll I'll take a second bash. Yeah. I understand we had a bash already. We'll take bash at the beach. Get the alliteration in there. Bash at the beach. It just sounds. It rolls off the tongue pretty well. Better than beach blast. How? I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you, like, I mean, you can I do agree. Bash at the Beach is actually like a good name, but when you already have Great American Bash, I don't know. It's just a weird. I understand, uh, what, and I understand your point about that. Two bashes that don't even make sense. But look at WWE now. We have two WrestleManias. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, is WrestleMania WrestleMania backlash, bro? Back to back months, twenty plus years to catch up. <laughs> right. So, look, it's all right. They had a road wild turn that into hog wild. I mean, I don't know. They had multiple. Didn't they have multiple shows well, with slam? Hog wild had to turn into road wild because of uh, Harley oh. Davidson. Yeah, there you go. It was like copyright something. So. <laughs> yeah, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you had Slamboree. You had um, man. What was the other one? Spring Stampede. Yep. Halloween Havoc. This is Super Brawl. Super Brawl. They had Super Brawl and Fall Brawl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense what's a super brawl and they numbered them <laughs> why do we have a super brawl 7 and a super brawl 8 don't know there we were so ah well <laughs> <laughs> ah well <laughs> that's our final thoughts I guess on uh, right. Great American Bash that's right yeah from nineteen love WCW ninety six ninety seven. It is really good. Can't stuff, wait though. to do more. It is overall pretty good stuff. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like the the middle part of this show, even up to the turn from Mongo, was great. <laughs> that was great. The opening, not good. The main event, very underwhelming. But I appreciated the middle of this show. I'll give it that, you know, but yeah, there's that. That is Great American Bash 1996. And with that, Nick, take us out with some plugs, please. Follow me at underscore Picone on Twitter. Follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. And you can check out my stuff at FoxPHLGambler.com and PhillyInfluencer.com. One real quick thing about WCW pay-per-views. Fall Brawl, two words. Super Brawl, one word. Fall Brawl had the war games added, so... But still, two words. Super Brawl, one. Well, that, cause that, that, that's fine. <laughs> weird. It's still it, weird. See, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem with the bashes. Back to too back. many bashes here. <laughs> There's way too many bashes. No, the bash overload. Too many bashes. Uh, but I am at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. You can follow my professional tweets at Philly Inquirer. You can 
follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash radio. You can request a deep dive there as well. We will bring be bringing back Patreon requests in the very near future. Do not do not worry. Do not fret. We will get to your deep dive requests very, very soon. But again, if you want us to talk about a specific show or happening in wrestling, it could be any type of wrestling content. Like we always say, it could be Boy Meets World on, with, with Vader on Boy Meets World. Uh, let us know. Patreon.com slash Radio. Subscribe, pay the nominal fee, request a deep dive. We will fulfill it and we'll have you, we'll let you make a cameo on the show as well. Can't get a better deal in wrestling. Again, patreon.com slash shooters radio. But until next time, for Nick Pacone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 329 of the Straight Shooters. And we'll catch y'all again next time. Watch out, we're coming!